From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey and this is Mark. Hiya! On episode 57, we are talking about science fiction film Space Sweepers. It came out early this year, 2021, and in this episode we will reveal what we thought about the film, the ins and outs of the narrative and film language, plus a deep dive into a specific piece of science that the filmmakers are proposing. Space Peepers 2021 was directed and written by Joe Sung-hee. Turn back now, unless you want us to spoil everything for you. Go watch the film, tune back in, and listen to us tell you how great it was, I suppose. <laughs> you suppose, yeah. Well, I hope that's what you're expecting yeah, us to do the next two hours. So, sorry. Sometimes I feel a bit wishy-washy <laughs> in my presentation. You're not too sure. About the great or the good or the fantastical of this science fiction film. Well, you find out. Actually, there's a couple of things I really liked about this film. Yeah, there's, so we'll a, there's a lot, actually. Uh, but anyway, there's your warning, warning. So, uh, Space Sweepers is set in the year 2092 and follows the crew of a space junk collector ship called The Victory. When they discovered a humanoid robot named Dorothy that is known to be a weapon of mass destruction, little nod to uh, George W. Bush, president, uh, get involved in a risky business deal. I didn't think of that connection. No, I just thought of it then. Weapons of mass destruction. Remember the weapons yeah. of mass destruction? And weapons we, of mass we have warned people about spoilers to yes. realise then that, as happened with Desert Storm, yes. there were no weapons of there mass was destruction. No. It, was a, it was a trick, wasn't it? Yeah, It was a trick. Yeah. So there we go. What was your number one takeaway from Space Sweepers? Sorry? Oh, my number one takeaway from Space Sweepers is that Korean science fiction is in some ways several steps ahead of Western science fiction in terms mm. of social development. Oh, right. Okay. That's what I picked up. And what do you mean by that social development? What, do you, what, what well, does that mean to you? this wonderful robot yep. character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Bud. Buddy, yeah. Robot. <laughs> robot, <laughs> yes. Um, operates in... Well, as a robot. Yeah. And it picks stuff up and it fights and it's... You know, and it can um, do things as a robot. It's a robot-y robot. Yeah. <laughs> and my social lens puts over this, those are masculine things. Yes. When in, in this movie, this robot self-determines mm. a feminine persona by yes. the end. Even though it has a male robotic voice. voice. Yeah, yes. so it's a bit of a... Yeah. So it's just kind of... And I really liked that because it... It made me question myself. I go, mm. why did I assume that this robot was masculine? Good point. Good why point. Why did I even assign gender to a yeah. robot? And that's what I mean is this uh, this Korean fellow, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, if that's how you pronounce your name, probably good enough for me because I can't say anything in Korean. No doubt Joe can I did. I deliberately. <laughs> I've been very bad, so I deliberately did the pronunciation of this one. And it is Joe Sung-hee. 
Probably. Joe that, Sunghi. That's okay. what Google pronunciation told me. I'm Google going with it. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it, it just really got me. And I love that, this takeaway. Yeah, that was cool. My takeaway here is that uh, there's a number of features in this film that were kind of, uh, I guess, stereotypical in terms yeah. of the presentation. But that one there was just what I really liked. It, it tripped me up. Mm. It just said, hey, sorry, take a look at yourself. Why do you think that robots have gender? And given mm. that they have a gender, why do you think that's a masculine one? Yeah. Because uh, I described at the start, it does things like fight and so forth. But there, when I thought about it, nothing that it did was particularly masculine mm. or, or feminine. Yep. It was operating like a piece of machinery. It's just that because it had a humanoid form, roughly speaking, I attributed to it human concepts. Mm. And it, yeah, it wasn't. And by the end of it, of course. It looks entirely different because uh, she's got the skin yeah. and skeletal change, so it looks like a Korean woman, mm. except she's sitting out on a an easy chair on the outside of the ship in space. Yes, because being yeah. a robot doesn't need to breathe. Yeah, well, I suppose it's a bit like the narrative construct of having a female protagonist in in another story or a film who's like a tough, wild going character. It's not what we've been trained to get to to be used to in protagonists. Well, see, and that, I think it's the same here, isn't it? Like every film we've ever watched of a robot, there may not be a gender of the robot. Like I'm even thinking something like iRobot. Um, there's no gender actually assigned to it, but the way that the robot goes about and does things, it's male. Yes. And it's, and so the presumption that you see a robot in a film and you think, oh, yeah, it's a male robot. It's like, interesting you say even though it doesn't about, matter, does it? Like it, there is no male robot. You say that about the female protagonist. I think in Western films we've had enough now of the tough female lead. Mm, yeah. That I think that's a little bit cliched that yeah. a woman in a Western film can either be a gung-ho soldier who's as tough and rough and tumble or more so than the men. Yes, Oh, definitely. she has to be soft and gentle and mm. feminine. Yeah, we've gotten, we have gotten a lot of examples. You know, we've even looked at films. But I, I think it's that, it's that trained mm. media eye that we get used to the woman being a particular character yeah. and the male being a particular character. And so then, and films can challenge that. That's what they do. But, but we we get trained into this. So the, that's the thing. You're, it's the same here. We've seen all. We have seen robots. I mean, Star Wars has robots. Like robots. Metropolis was a robot, right? Mm. Like, but unless they have physical features that demonstrate, like Metropolis, it was a female robot, right? Undeniably. Yeah. So unless it's like physically, you know, copying the human spectrum, and you can go, oh, that's a male robot. That's a female robot. This one was. Bionic, <laughs> it was, yeah, like skeletal, yeah, so like like yeah. a Terminator yeah. type thing, you know. And and I do think it was a nice surprise. The the point you were saying it was a nice surprise at the end, because it, the robot did talk about getting human skin and being frightened to put on human skin, and it was very subtle. And I was just thinking, ah, oh, a robot that wants skin, you know, the Wizard mm-hmm. of Oz kind of connection. But it's like it wants a heart, you know, it wants skin, it wants to look like a human. But again, I wasn't thinking. Oh, it's actually gendered in a particular way, you know. Yeah. I don't. I don't think I had the thought whether it was going to be male or female, but I like you're you're having that kind of like realization. But I didn't. Then at the end, when it when it was its appearance as a as you know a human, um, or you know robot with skin, I was I was surprised at its final look. Yeah, yeah. I, it did shock me. I was like, oh wow, that's a weird look. But then when I looked back on it, 
you know, there is the scene where um, she is applying makeup with the little Dorothy, the, the, you know, Dor- and they're doing it Dorothy together. Nip, whatever her name was, uh, called her Lady. Yeah. And she went, oh, so glad you noticed. Yes. I picked up on that and I thought, did she say Lady and, and or was it, because I had the dubbing on for this one. Often I usually have the subtitles, but there's so many mm. different languages in this film. Yeah. But the, I found it was confusing with the subtitles. In fact, the subtitles got it wrong that the woman at the start, it said speaking German. Yeah. But she was clearly <laughs> speaking English. Yeah. Because I think... The I, subtitles kept yeah. saying in German. And then the mm. words I'm going, it's not. She's speaking English. That's not German. I, do, I think what's going on there is that that's the... Net, because Netflix player is doing the subtitles you know yes. instead of like a traditional you know you go to the cinema and you watch a french film and it's like the subtitles have been done properly yeah for the cinema you know it's all the dvd release they do them officially but i think netflix it's kind of like an auto caption because you you can go french or you can go english or you know mm. what i mean so there's always going to be some little mistakes yeah, so, yeah. so I, I ended up doing a dubbing which was okay at first it was a little bit kind of Odd, mm. but the voice acting was pretty good, and yeah, yeah. so so little kid says lady, and he's like, oh, I'm so glad you noticed, and I'm like, ah, and and that's that's sort of when I like I had suspicions mm. leading up to just with a couple of other bits like like looking for the, at the skin and it was, and it was pictures of women mm. on the magazine, but it was just kind of okay. That's but what it, it is. is nice and subtle, like it's but not when obvious, she said that. Oh, that's when I first went, oh, I've just been as I realized I hadn't consciously realized until then. I went. Oh, I've just kind of thought of that robot as a man. Mm, yeah, and so that's what I mean. Is like the Western films has reached the point where they can show female protagonists, and they've been building it up. And that's what I like about Ellen Ripley in the Aliens ones. Yeah, she's not. You know, she's tough and she's strong, but she's not like tougher and stronger than all the men. Yeah, she's still um, just a, a human. A human. Yeah, she's 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 not like because that gets me is when these they they always. Mm, so in Game of Thrones, <laughs> you got the uh, Lady of Tarth. Yes. I mean, she's physically big. Yep. And so when in the movie show, she's presented as being strong and powerful yeah. and so forth. It's believable because she, yeah. she's as big as the bloody hound. Yeah. You know, at least in the, I don't know what the actress is like, but in the show she is. Whereas then you get like Kira Knightley or Mila Jovovich or someone like punching, you know, guys who are probably twice their mass. mm and have you ever had a child punch you? Yeah. Or you've pushed a child accidentally too hard and you realise that a 40-kilo child just falls over. They, they, they can't... No. That's what the sort of thing we're talking about. Is, you know, you can't have a 120-kilo man fighting a 50-kilo woman. That 50-kilo woman's going to have to have weapons yes. that are effective yep. because punching and kicking is just not going to do jack. Mm. I don't care how good she is. Like, I would challenge that. That's why we don't have boxing matches between uh, a welterweight man, like a, yes. a 60 kilo man, and Mike Tyson, a 120 yeah, yeah. kilo man, because it's going to be like, it's it's going to be really unfair. Yes. <laughs> Tyson would, would knock his head knock, off. Knock the guy's head off. Yeah. Straight out. That right. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, uh, they do it very well in this. They do. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I think, uh, yes, they're a little bit ahead. This movie was anyway. socially, yeah, yeah socially yeah. It was a bit ahead because it, it, and it didn't even make that as a real major part of the film. Mm. No one else cared. Yep. Um, the robot cared. Yep. The child cared. Everyone else just called the robot Bud or Buddy or. Yeah, I think it was Bud, wasn't it? 
something along those lines. I, I did do it just as it was. So I didn't do the dub version. I just kind of did it and went with the subtitles yeah, and stuff. Yeah. So I think it was Bud. But yeah, so you just kind of, yeah. or Robot. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, um, so no one else actually cared. No. No one else <laughs> tried to gender them. No, no. no one else paid any attention. The child did, because obviously I guess they're saying the child sort of picked up that the robot wanted to be gendered and was so pleased mm. that, yes, oh, you know. Because I have a feeling that most robots don't have personalities. Well, it's hard to know, isn't it, in this? Because we don't, yeah, we just, we, this film is so focused on that one core group. Mm. So anyway, was this hope warning or an experiment? This, to me, is the hope because it it is an enlightenment story of humanity, you know, at the end of the day. So it's like the humanity's gone down a dark path. We've really screwed up planet Earth. Um, a corp- a, it's a pretty traditional kind of setup. This film, isn't it? From some of the science fiction, Demolition Man's probably a bit of a similar setup, um, where we have like then a big corporation kind of controlling everything and promising a better future for the wealthy. Elysium, I think, is a bit of a similar premise yeah. by memory. You know, people going up into the sky, um, and and you know the rest that of Metropolis. us. Metropolis, Metropolis, very know, yeah, the same idea. Back. They're up in the sky, aren't they? Um, it, you know, just in skyscrapers instead of the sky. But yeah, I think where it comes into is the debate. And if you notice the villain Sullivan, the CEO of the corporation, um, apart from his very first scene, every other scene that he is in, he is basically proving his point that humanity is doomed apart from the part he's going to keep. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and humanity proves it should be doomed, right? Like, so all of the people he runs into and murders and tortures and smithereens them away, you know, into oblivion, uh, he he's constantly saying to them, see, this is the way humanity ends up, you know, and, and his story of his childhood and all this kind of stuff, like everything he is reinforcing, that side of the argument that, well, yeah, Humans, we're we're going along right now because we're doing it right now. We go along and we're we're slowly kind of killing ourselves in our environment, right? We're not looking after the planet, and he, and and he he's someone that's come along in his generation and said, "Yeah, we're destroying this." So how about a few of us go off and start start afresh and screw the rest of you, you know? And no matter where I look, humans are greedy and they'll always choose greed over good. So. You know, there's this the scene with the I called him the journalist guy. I didn't really know who he was. You know, and he ends up he kind of quit questions him, and then he ends up saying to him, "Kill one of those um, black foxes, black foxes, and then your family will come up to the Mars and come up to the sky and be looked after." And so he does, and he's like, "Ha! See, I told you this is exactly what humans do. Yeah. This is why I want to get away from you all." Yeah, and then and then also with um, the lead. Uh, Tahoe, you know, when it gets to that climax in the film, he offers him all the cash and like, you know, take the cash and walk away, you know, and, and he does. Tahoe does um, take all the cash. And so he's like, yep, told you. See, I'm right. You know, it doesn't even matter. Like, here's the Crusaders and we can just pay them off, you know. Yeah. So, and, and um, you know, so, so to me why then it's hope is because, you have these people coming together over the child of Dorothy, even though they're given money and they're, and everything, eventually they're choosing that right side. And then not only are they choosing the right side, but all of the other people are. And I think something in the film, like you said, social, the social things, I think this film, and we get this 
maybe more out of countries like Korea and China. You know, you and I have watched a couple of Chinese science fictions. Go back, have a listen, um, like The Wandering Earth and stuff. It was Wandering Earth, wasn't it? Wandering Earth, Shanghai yeah. Fortress. Yeah, um, those, those ones and, and even Snowpiercer, you get this real class divide, don't you, in these mm. films? Like they really take them to the extreme. In this film, Space Sweepers, we have such a poverty, working class, slave setup. And yet then they still choose the right path at the end, right? Like they still choose to save humanity. Yeah, right. And they, so they all had enough time to, you know, book it. They could have taken the money. They could have run away. Maybe they could have gone to the place in the, you know, and they, they and maybe it would have been beneficial for a couple of billion people to die anyway. You know, even if Earth survived to kind of wipe out, it'd be less competition in their world. You know, so there's, there is such a cool setup of socialism in this, at the start of this film that, you know, like how they do all that work about collecting that piece of space junk and they end up owing the, the, more, yeah, the no. they owed more than they left. I mean, he's literally, cause he is, you know, he's got that personal quest of finding his daughter, but he's literally wearing socks with holes in them and he still then owes them more money, you know, like you, so it's kind of like, it's just such a setup of, you're in such a, you know, you're, you're, you're cornered a rat. It's the rat analogy, isn't it? But these rats end up choosing each other to, to survive, you know, when it'd be so much easier for them to go, no, screw you. Like I'm going to survive, you know? Yeah. So I think hope, I think hope prevails. And Humanity an, prevails. Here's an interesting question. Here's the connection with the Wizard of Oz. Mm, yeah. So we have this child named Dorothy. Yes. We have a tin man. Yeah. That wants the skin. You mentioned that before. Yep. And uh, I was wondering about this when I was watching the film. The choice of Dorothy as yes. being the code name for the the girl's real name, which was Courtney or something. Yeah, Court. Uh, I don't know. Like, yeah, Kang Courtney. I never <laughs> saw the. Uh, um, so they got. The if you're man. Korean, you can hit us up and let us know. You've the even pronunciation. got a guy called Tiger Park. Tiger, yeah. I like his name, Tiger Park. Yeah, like it's a playground. Mm. But so, like the lion. Yeah, yeah, the lion, was, yeah. So he wanted to have, what, bravery? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. He he sort of needed bravery, didn't he? You know? Yes, he did. Uh, and what else if we had? The, someone wanted a brain and someone wanted a heart. Uh, and then so we got the straw man who wanted a brain. Yeah. Who was that? Probably the captain, eh? So the, captain the, the captain who needs the brain? Think? Yeah. Because well, she was a genius. Yeah. But she wasn't using her She wasn't smarts. actually using her she was just. Yeah. She was just... Yeah. Grumpy because she wanted to kill the dude, um, um, Sullivan. Sullivan, yeah. But, uh, you know, didn't manage to do it and got all of her crew killed instead. Mm. Yeah, so I... And they're all trying to get to the Emerald City. Like, mm. they're all trying to yeah. make the money which will somehow yeah. cure these things. But not, none of them will actually be helped by money. No. <laughs> Maybe getting skin. But even then, it's like, it's kind of, it's still missing... The, the essence. The essence of it all, yeah. Of being the human. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay, now you're just a tin man with skin on. Yeah. Which is not really, or a tin woman, I should say, in this case. And, and skin on. But by the end, having done something that is so heroically human, mm. it's like she's earned the skin. Yeah. Yes. And, and also, like, even if they, if, even if this crew get to the Emerald City, what's the point? They're yeah. just another four people in like this, this whole society is still doomed eventually. Yeah, you know, none, none of them have slipped 
the the bonds of their past. No, they they wouldn't really escape it. You know, Ta- and Tiger and, Park is still just an ex-con. Yeah, uh, yeah. Tahoe is still just doing anything and everything he can to get to his daughter, which yeah. is sort of what he realizes got his daughter away from him in the first place. Yeah, was that he was so focused on getting anything, anything good to try and mm. help his daughter. That he end up he's just ignoring her. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So anyway, I I I just liked. I like that whole yeah, definitely. Wizard of Oz sort of set up in this. I don't know if there are any munchkins in this. The, the, the nanobots. <laughs> the nanobots. Oh, my God. <laughs> what Did you have a favourite scene then? Favourite scene. I really did like the robot fighting on the ships. Yeah, that was cool. Around. It was yeah. very cool. Yeah. But if you're talking about something that's a little bit more sort of... Um, or it doesn't have to be. It's Interesting to or, or personal, then I quite liked the the little backstory scenes yep. that we got just right towards the end. We sort of got these little little backstories about Tahoe and so forth. Yeah. Just the way they incorporated them as backstories. Some of them were being told. Yeah. They were. They were, they were being told by, by different people. Yes. Uh, and that was, that was just really nice. But yeah, the one scene, that fight scene at the end where... Um, the hatch opens up and the <laughs> ship they're on, which always kind of looked a bit like a pirate ship, didn't it? It like did. The way it transformed. It but then it opened up the back and it's got that little cage that she's in, kind of looks at like the back mm-hmm. uh, uh, cabin of a pirate ship and she's yeah. like shooting out the back with a, her gun. Definitely. And, and the robot's swinging around with a harpoon, jumping <laughs> from ship to ship. Because we found out that Buddy was a an air-to-air, um, anti-air robot. And I sort of thought, meant a pilot or a ship. Yeah. But now I'm thinking maybe they've got robots that specialize in basically doing this exact thing, which yes. is just launching themselves and being the weapon themselves yeah. <laughs> to land on ships and rip them apart. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think so. I I liked that um yeah, that was very it was imaginative and creative, I think, mm. having this robot swing around on a harpoon. It it brought back the whole ship. I suppose you could even say some Moby Dick going on in here where they're yeah, all chasing yeah, Moby yeah. Dick. I don't know if that was intentional or not, uh, but there's the harpoon kind of implies it, doesn't it? It does. Um, I think a favourite bit of sci-fi to me, just because you're talking about that robot, like the the bit that gets me is that robot. Like I really liked that robot, and yeah, and you're just sort of touching on there. Like, was it something that was? It felt a bit kamikaze, if that's the right sort of thing to think of. But this idea of almost like a self-destructive weapon. You know, and, well, and being eyes, a robot. Its eyes changed colour. Yeah, it, it did. It, it went from green very and it looked nice. And when, yeah. uh, when it was a bit focused, it would go blue and then it was mm. combat mode, went red. Yeah. But I, yeah, and, and and this is the thing. I liked that, you know, at the very start of the film, it seemed that the robot was obviously very talented helping them and they, they were working on victory to, you know, get this space junk because then they'd traded in at the recycling centre, basically. Great idea. Very very reasonable like premise i think like very real mm. at some point a lot of that space junk will be worth a lot of money um and i like this idea of kind of like yeah a big group of different pirates basically hunting that piece of treasure but with the robot i liked that you know it was so mechanical it had that purpose it had that harpoon but then when when the team achieved their victory they then were very you know old scores in like let's gamble the little bit of money that we've got 
And that robot was the cleverest one, like saving it, <laughs> which then we find out, well, she's saving it to get the skin. But she's like, oh, no, I'm like, I'm collating this. We're not a team, really. Like, we're a team in that moment to get the, the scrap metal to make money. But then screw you. I'm getting out of here kind of thing. And straight, that's why straight away, that, that's very early in the film. I liked, I was just thinking, wow, this robot is something that is quite a drastic different type of robot you know than what we've seen in a lot yeah, of other films it's like not a c3po for yeah, example yeah it is yeah it, it's it's it, not a terminator really it's but, not a terminator but it, it's got its own agenda that's what i really mm. liked i guess you know and yeah you can see the wizard of oz thing that the wizard of oz you know they the you know wants the heart the tin man wants the heart or something but this it seems suddenly that this robot had a lot of substance going on that it had its own agenda here and, you know, then it was like when the police officer came on board, it's just sweeping and he kind of like knocks it and it deliberately plays dumb. Well, see, that's, why, know, that's why I got the impression that most robots don't have personalities. No, that's right. Yeah. So it was interesting. Wasn't it? And then and then also when she, you know, the captain, um, there's a moment there where they talk about orders and then she's like, she gives the right and it and it's just his eyes turn on and glare, yeah. you know, and you're like, and she's like, that's an order, yeah. you know, that's following an order. And you're like, oh, okay. So the robot's like... It's dangerous, but it's got this like back catalogue of emotion. <laughs> it was really complex, and that's what I liked about it. Because you think, who, where does that science come from? You know, like where, where does that honestly come from to develop a robot to that stage? It, it is you know? interesting that we never like, got any more backstory. Out no, of robot. we didn't. Why yeah. did robots stop being an anti-aircraft yeah. weapon? Yep, and clearly gain because if all of those breed of robots, if you like, they, all that make and model a robot were like robot. Yeah. Why would any of them remain as They wouldn't, weapons? would they? They would go off and want to live their own they, lives. They'd all want to be going doing whatever, like <laughs> yeah. take up hobbies or yeah, pursue yeah, yeah. philosophical dreams or something. Because mm. they didn't yeah. have to eat because that was a joke that it even made. Yes. Like as it said, oh, I would get this ship if we starved yeah, if you're you're, together, <laughs> like, you know, I inherit the ship, the ship yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so what? anything recent uh, creatively sci-fi related that you've been up to, sorry? Well, I'm only dealing with the sci-fi film festival we're organising. Yes, of yes. course. So we have a good lead on a location, an yep. event. In fact, by the time this episode airs, we will probably know for sure. Definitely in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Yes, uh, it's in sunny Mandra in 2022, May. Yep. Go check out au slash... Film festival, yes. film dash festival, or you can look at look up the festival directly on Film Freeway. Film Freeway, yeah. We've already had a few submissions, which is exciting. We do have an early bird submission date, um, which is in a couple of months, August. So you've got a couple of months to get in. It's super cheap, and we have those multiple categories. We have a local Mandra and regional WA category. We have an Australian category, and we have an international category. And then we do also have a student slash youth category where you just need to be a student, either high school, university, college, that kind of situation. Yes, and we will, yeah, we're, but uh, sorry, as you're saying, we've got a fixed location that will be announced shortly. Uh, and also we kind of nutted out what, we, which is something we've been talking about for a long time, but actually talking about the day. So obviously we've got this idea of films being submitted and, and having a, a bit of a film festival competition and they will be premiered and there'll be awards. But before that, we would also really like to celebrate science fiction. Science fiction. We have a day lined up at probably, was it four to six 
uh, depending on on final organization. Yes. Yep. Uh, sort of workshops, mm-hmm. uh, roundtable discussion, podcasting, yep. Yep. Uh, the whole lot, ranging from not just films, but we're looking at, well, as I said, podcasts. So that's yes. interesting. Um, science fiction authors like writing and filmmaking uh, and you know whatever else comes up. And, and a science, uh, someone cleverer in science and explaining things than me. Which I know. Is, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, how could you find someone like that? <laughs> I don't know. It's just like you know, we found some dude down the Oval the other day who was telling me about chemtrails and so I thought, yeah, right. well, he's, he's important to have on that show. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, so we're going to have like, yeah, some science on some science fiction and then we're going to have a bit of a discussion. It's, it's going to be fantastic. It will, will be there'll exciting. Be, there'll be a, an after party, of course. Yeah. And we're also looking at a launch party. So yeah, yeah. this is going to be fantastic it is it is very exciting stuff yeah i can't wait to lock in a few more of those details and yeah and then we'll be sharing more and more of them and what about yourself anything other than the the film festival well yeah i'm in pre-production for harold the plumber harold the plumber uh, the magical toilet water so uh which comedy drama comedy drama sort of idea um it's got a lot of moving parts i probably didn't realize how many moving parts I put into the script <laughs> until now, but things are progressing. The cast has been locked in, which is great, and it is a much bigger cast than The Memory, my last short film, which had two cast or three technically, but yeah, pretty much just two. This has about ten, so um, I mean, Harold is eighty percent of the film, and then uh, his friends are kind of maybe forty percent, and then there's a few one-liners. But suddenly, when you realise you've got all those one-liners, you're like, "Oh, hang on, I need a few people." So I didn't, uh, it didn't lack in people coming forward, actors reaching out. So that was exciting, and it was just about finding that right balance for the right character. Um, and and then yeah, the yesterday it's it's not the funnest job in the world, but I sort of sat down and did a shooting schedule. So I don't mean like figuring out the shots, but actually just literally saying, okay, so sort of Saturday morning, if we spend two hours doing that thing with this actor, we'll get that done. And then, okay, then we need to move to this location and that will take half an hour. So kind of like that kind of schedule. And also thinking, well, this actor's in scene four, eight, 16, 19, 20, but can I shoot that on the Sunday instead of the Saturday? And then, but then this actor needs to be in scene 18 and scene one. Okay, so that should be Sunday too, so that I've just got them around on one day. <laughs> so it's just kind of like a bit of a juggle, yeah. Uh, I, I, I sort of know when I was doing <coughs> my audio drama, mm. uh, I started the first season, I kept it right down to pretty much just me, one man mm, show, yeah, because yeah. I, was, I was feeling the waters and I had a couple, like there was a voice recorded message that was going to be in it and there was like yeah. a, a couple little one-liners, you know, short yeah, yeah. bits right at the very end, a couple characters and then I, I started, I got my feet under me, so I included a couple more characters. Oh, yeah, so, bringing a whole cohort. <laughs> yeah, so season two and three were like sort of full cast. Yes. Gone gone with the episodes that were entirely just me mm. um, doing stuff. Yep. Uh, and yeah, organizing then all the lines and making sure that I got them out and in and then figuring out which which parts I could do just by me, like because there were yeah. still some like monologue type things. Yeah. 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 So even then, and that, but I had it a bit easier because it was only voice recordings. So they yes, didn't have to have, yeah. they could do it remote. Yeah. So I try, I can imagine trying to get this done uh, in a local shoot. You can't just sort of have people just turning up your house for a 
do two lines, go home, and then three weeks later come back and do another couple. Oh of no, lines no, and- no! And I, I'm big on. Um, I did it with the memory and, I, and on previous film suits. Like I don't, I don't like things going on too long because you're not talking about paying, you know, paying people here, and it's their time and effort. And of course, they want to get something out of it as well. They want they want to finish product. They're they're wanting to be actors. So it's a mutual. It's uh, you know, it's reciprocal. But at the same time, I'm very. I am very respectful that I'm not paying you, so I don't want you here well, for 10 hours. Well, you know, that's like, the thing. It's, it's all know, fun like, and games. If someone like, says, yeah, I'm doing a short film, can you be here on the Sunday for like three to four hours? Yeah, it's like, well, that's And okay, they go, yeah. oh, yeah, okay, that's a bit of a special yeah. thing. I'll organize mm. around that and yep, yep. go along and do it. And then you can't sort of say, and I'm going to need you back here on the Wednesday evening <laughs> and then on the next Saturday. And yeah. they're like, they're going, hang on, this is like a 10-minute film. Yeah. How much? How what? Yeah. Can you get your stuff in order? Yes, because I, that's right. Know, and, and I've also been on a couple of sets, and I, I really learnt from these. Where you know, they they at the start of the day, it was like, oh yeah, we, we, it's a six hour day, you know, and everyone's like, great. So you, could you imagine going to work? You're like six hours, and again, no one's getting paid. Everyone's volunteering, mm. and you get to about the six hour, and you realise that only half of what was planned for the day is shot. So then you're starting to think, if you're not the director, you're not in charge. You're starting to think. We only did. We've only done half of what was planned. It's already at six hours. Okay, so maybe another hour or so, and then you can see the director or the producers are wanting to push on, and they push on, and there's like another two hours. So now we're at work for eight hours, nine hours, and you're like, and then people start getting antsy and they want to go home, and the director's like, no, we're gonna, you know, you like, and everyone's really polite about it, but you're going, you know, and then it ends up being like a twelve-hour shoot or something when when you didn't know it was going to be that long, you know, and you'll, you don't want to be the person that goes, that's it. I'm done. I've got to go home. But you also are thinking really, this should be, you are thinking that's it. I'm done. I want to go home. (laughs) So therefore it's a half assed you know, everyone's putting in a bit of a half assed and stuff. So yeah, I I mean, I've learned from that and I just think that's really unfair. You know, you no one, no one should really go to work and then, especially when you're not being paid and, and then being expected to do these exorbitant yeah, hours I mean, all night if, long and if stuff. If I was so, Jennifer Lawrence and yeah, being paid... getting paid $22 million. $22 million. <laughs> and they sort of say, oh, we're going to go an extra hour. You sort of yeah. go, oh, man, well, how much am I earning on this yeah. <laughs> per hour I'm earning? No, but you know what? That, like, that's the, From what I gather, at that top end, that they are unionised to the, to the minute, you know, and they, mm. they only have her on set for... You know, it might be the eight hours. That's it. They can't, they legally can't have her on set for another minute. Well, I got to say, know, it's if, a funny thing. If, if I was, I would write that in my contract too, because <laughs> yeah, you you wouldn't want them. Okay, you're paying me a whole bunch of money, but now you're just taking the piss. Yeah, yeah you know, you you you're really kind of squeezing as much as you can, which you yeah. kind of think is fair enough. But I would have taken a million dollars less <laughs> to lock in. Yeah. A set number of hours. I'll save you a million bucks and I'm just going to stop now. Yeah, and I think it does come down like, you know, um, I heard Margot Robbie, you know, with that that last Quentin Tarantino, you know, she reached out to him saying, can I please be in your film, you know? like, And so you could imagine that situation, someone like Quentin Tarantino, if he's saying, oh, I need another hour... Well, the actor's probably like, yeah, because we want to make yeah, the magic. Is, you know, it's worth cool. it. It's, this is going to be worth it. But if you're just on a big commercial set where everyone's making big money you're like well you you didn't pay me for another hour <laughs> yeah you know pay me for another hour and sure you'll get another hour but no you're not like you're not abusing that you know so yeah. but anyway so we're not there yet sorry we're not at the multi-million dollar contracts and all that yet we're not I'm, even at I'm, the i'm lucky if we get a cup of coffee yeah 
no, everyone will get fed. The the deal on my film is that everyone's getting fed, and that's something that even on the memory, I, I made a big deal about. I spent a couple hundred bucks. Couldn't pay people. You know, you can't pay everyone twenty bucks. It's a waste of time. But you can feed people well. And oh, so yeah. that that was something that I I pre- and I had coffee and tea and herbal tea and all this sort of stuff. Um, and I'm going to do that again for this. Plus, I get an IMDb credit. They do get a copy of the film. Hopefully, this last time COVID ruined a launch party. I was going to do like a little no. launch premiere party with the cast and crew. Hopefully, for this time we can actually have that. And because uh, that's a good on a previous couple of films, I've done that, and it's a really easy way of saying thank you. You know, yeah. come have a beer. Here's a copy of the film. Let's watch the film collectively. You know, have a, have a few nibbles, kind of idea, and 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 bring your partner. You know, bring your bring your husband, wives, or whatever. And um, you know, let, like let's let's just say a big thank you. You know, because that's a good note. So there's something in return. Um, but yeah, I'm not paying them. <laughs> but it's progressing really well. So it's just it's just with that doing that sort of shooting schedule is definitely not my total zone of genius you know it's not the creative field so much it's literally logistics when you can afford to pay people you can pay yeah, someone else pay someone to do that bit <laughs> yeah, let's just say come back yeah. and bring the schedule back to yeah, me and I'll just bring the schedule it. to me you tell me where i need to be for the yeah. creative bit you know? but anyway so it is progressing uh, it's got a june shoot day so yeah it's coming up it's coming up okay well, month away. let's get stuck let's into get this stuck, film yeah so, a bit of the overview of the cast, uh, as we said, written and directed by Joe Sung. He he has also done a feature film with the actor Sung Jung-ki, <laughs> who played the lead in this Tahoe. They did a they did a werewolf film, I think, um, the Werewolf Boy, about eight years ago. And uh, yeah, Joe Sung he he's directed about four, written and directed four films. He said for this one, he actually started writing it about ten years ago when he heard a bit about Space Junk. That was his initial kind of premise of this story. Mm. Was the idea of Space Junk? Oh, okay, and the danger. And what happened just the other week? Sorry, we had oh, that Chinese the, the satellite that Chinese they had no rocket. idea where it was going to land. Yeah, they just left this big rocket to just. <laughs> Somewhere near Australia, it's going to land. Their answer was, uh, well, the ocean, there's about 70% ocean. So you've got a 70% chance it's just going to hit the water. Yeah. Yes, but there's a 30% chance it'll hit the earth. (laughs) And there's not many places left on the earth where we would be happy to have a rocket hit. No. There's a couple of big deserts and things, but everything else is either, you know, wildlife we don't want wiped out. Yeah. And, uh, or people. Yes. And from what I could gather, if this thing had hit you, you'd just you'd be yeah. It would it would have been big enough to be annoying. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah, we have a bunch of actors. I don't know whether we should even try pronouncing them all. I, I think know. let's let's give it a shot. But we're going to start off with a sincerest apologies to all of our Korean listeners. Yes, Korean, and to- totally correct us. Get us on the line. Give us I'm, a call. Okay, out. I'm going to start off with how you say this pronounced one, Richard. Armitage. Oh. <laughs> yes. He played Sullivan, the CEO. Yeah, um, so we had Sung Jung Ki, who played Taho, Kim Tari, Captain Jang, Sung Kyu Jin. Yeah, who played Tiger. Ha Jin Yu. Played Robot. Richard Armitage. Richard <laughs> Armitage. Yi Rin Park played Dorothy, the little child. It was filmed in Seoul in South Korea. And I just want to touch on a little bit of a different point of view from the box office. This was a Netflix film from the start. Yeah. Um, a little bit like what happened. We heard about Iron Mother, you know, just being bought out. I, I think this was just more funded from Netflix from the very start. 
they did a worldwide kind of premiere to 80 countries across the Netflix uh, platform. And within two weeks, 26 million viewers. Nice. Which is really great because I don't think you'd get 26 million views in cinema, you know, the traditional sense. So, yeah, I think that's that's probably yeah, quite a good hit. how much would that relate to, turn into in box office? I mean, if you're talking $10 tickets. Yeah, well, 260 mil, eh? That's 260, but mm. I know that, I mean, that's an average, but here in Australia, $10 tickets might foot yes it costs a billion dollars for a family to go to the cinema these yeah, days a billion dollars and they wonder why a people billion say dollars. Netflix. <laughs> yeah, no. say Netflix, you know, well, yeah. okay. but this is a really interesting thing like i found that an interesting statistic because it wasn't about the money and but then this is the money to netflix right it's like how many views they want the they want the tiger king the thing to get up to number one and they're that's how they're rating stuff you know so will they give joe sung he another will they fund his next film do you know what I mean? I think they should. I think it's yeah. a worthwhile film to, to fund. Yes, I think so. It wasn't a big budget, this film, from what like you could find out online. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably a pretty healthy return for them. So, let's get into the story. The year is 2092. Earth has become uh, unhabitable. And we have this corporation called UTS. Yes, I, I keep thinking of UTI. But... <laughs> um, and because I was watching the film just with all the multiple languages, I really was not sure about UTS for quite some time. Like I was writing on my notes as I, as I write my notes down. I was like, is it IS? Is it ISU? <laughs> I just kept getting it wrong. It wasn't until about three quarters through the film. Uh, so this UTS corporation has built this orbiting... A flat earth. A flat earth. Which, yeah. which I, I had a little chuckle at that when yeah. it showed it and it was just like, it's literally a flat earth they put up there. So this big science fiction film had... A flat Earth. It did. And those remain on Earth, breathe their polluted air. We have this main protagonist, a young man, Kim Ta-ho. Um, he arrives at this sort of depot place. Um, they have a bit, He has a bit of banter with this trading guy about a body. It was I, I found it a little bit, and this woman yeah. um, who spoke English. Straight away, it was very jarring how they all spoke their own languages. Yes. And there was a translator not working or whatever. Um and he trades rice, which kind of, I suppose, made sense because the, the environment's so polluted. And he gets then to go um, to it's a, morgue. a morgue, yeah. yeah and they bring it. out a body. But the guy's saying to him, no, nah, this isn't her. So, you know, something like that. Yeah, and he opens She looks the, like she's maybe seven years old. Yeah, yeah. And, and he opens the bag and it's not who he's looking for. Um, so then, yeah, then he, he catches the... I mean, it's kind of like a train, but a tra- not a train, but I don't know. It's a circle of, on a rod elevator, which is a cool idea, isn't it? This elevator to space. People have talked about this. Space elevator. Yeah. Or an elevator to space. People have talked about this as yeah, a real thing that might get built, right? Like I've heard some... It, it would be better than a rocket because you don't have to expend all your fuel all the mm, time. It's, yes. Oh, it's downward trip, for example, could regenerate some of the power cost going yeah. up. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it like and that. You can yes. use less, you know, exciting heavy acceleration to go up. You can yes. use, you know, more efficient means. Mm. Uh, the, the, the downside, of course, is the incredible strength of material you'd need to tether yeah. a, an orbiting platform. Yes. Um, it's just... Yeah. It's, we do have material strong enough, but we can't produce it enough. Like it's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, your graphenes and your mm. carbon nanotubes are strong enough, but we can't produce them in quantities that would be sufficient. Yeah. Not, not by a long shot. 
Maybe one day. 3D printers might get there one day. Oh, they're working on <laughs> it because it's, it's, it's got so many applications. It's worth it. So anyway, he, he rockets himself up on this elevator and um, he arrives aboard Victory. Um, there's a worker bee in the fire of, of the engine, Tiger. Long dreadies, covered in tattoos, kind of guy, tough looking guy. Yeah. Um, there's an android called Bubs or Robot. So, no, Bubs, don't do that's it. the one I want. And Captain funny. Jang. Um, and yeah, Tiger, I, I found this a little bit hard to quite understand, but it was kind of like he was revving up the power of the engine oh, I extra. Love, I love that because the, this bit of space junk hits and all of the junkies go chasing for junkies? Mm, junkers. Junks. <laughs> they all go chasing and harpooning and so forth. And then in comes victory, just like it transforms a bit. Like you can see that it's a... It's a transformer. <laughs> of all of these junk collectors, it's kind of a step up from the others. Like it's yeah. faster, it transforms. It's And at this stage, it looks like it's got a well-oiled crew who work well together. Yeah. And King uh, Tiger King, <laughs> Tiger, yeah. Tiger Park, uh, he's down the engine room. And I love this because this is call for more power. Yes. Need more power. And rather than just like, I don't know, flipping a switch or changing a couple of circuits over, he shoves this, he rams this cylinder thing in and then he clunks it shut. And then he has to pump on this thing. Yeah, like, old-fashioned kind of pump. It looks idea. like he's, he's got to pump it to a certain rhythm in order to yeah. get it spinning up. And, and then he bangs it with the back of his hatchet or whatever it is. <laughs> and then it goes clunk and then all the power starts churning mm. up. I just love the, the physicality of it. All of that could and should have been done by mechanization. Yeah, of but course. But it gave that feeling of industrialization. Mm. I think it's this whole, you know, um, uh, human labor to achieve things. Yes. Like, had this all been an automated ship where you just press the button and it all happens, it wouldn't have given us this idea that they're really working and struggling to get this bit of junk. Yeah. Every which, part of it is hard. Which is, again, like their lives, right? As the workers, like everything is kind of hard. You know, it, like it reminds it, you really of the metropolis. You know, it that, does, that weird yeah. clock light yeah. thing that he had <laughs> to replace. You know, it's just, yeah. it seems pointless. It's like you've got this machine that could turn a light on and you've got to line these arms. Yeah. Couldn't you have just, I don't know, maybe had two people do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, each just take one arm. No, we need this one or person. Another, or some sort of machine. Mm. To, but no. And, and, and the same for Tiger, right? Like couldn't he have someone else in there like pumping it? Yeah, it's, it's but, the human effort. Yeah. It gives value to the output, I yeah. think is what it is. But then there uh, with with um, Tahoe, they kind of accelerate. And sh- he shows off his uh, flying skills and they get the space junk, right? Oh, they sort of steal it from all these other ones. And there's a real competitiveness between all these space sweepers. Like they're all hunting for that piece of gold, so to speak, um, a bit of space junk. Uh, so they, take, they, they collect it and get away from the others. He takes out an antenna, which is important because then when he, when they're taking this bit of junk in, he, you know, he's he's kind of counting up the type of metals it was, yeah. and what's the value, and actually this counting machine spits out all this cash. Yeah, five hundred eighty dollars. Um, yeah, five hundred eighty dollars. So you're thinking, okay, well, I don't know what that is in inflation terms, but it, he seems pretty excited. At least they've made some money. And then it's like, oh, but you hit the antenna, nine hundred dollars. Uh, you know, so we take that and we actually, you also owe us a couple of hundred dollars. Oh, yeah, we'll take yeah, that out of your bank. Yeah. Your first pay, your payments for your mortgage on your ship yeah. basically have restarted. Yeah. So we're going to take that. Yeah. Uh, that's a thousand dollars. Yes. And you and think, so they've made 
580. Yeah. But they had to pay 700 and something rather for the antenna mm. and like a thousand something for something else. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, 580 is like is a fair bit of money considering yeah. what you imagine these other costs must be. Yep. But it's dwarfed by mm. the penalties they've incurred. Yeah. And then he even like gives him then envelopes, which is his taxes. He's like, yeah. you need to pay your taxes. <laughs> <laughs> On what? what? He hasn't earned anything. Yeah. <laughs> they still pay. So and setting up that society is that? a bit of a struggle. He says, "Why do you even show me the cash?" <laughs> yeah, that's which you got to ask you why? Why did you count that out until you finished? I don't know. So there is then a scene that we mentioned before. They then like uh, they gambling with the robot bubs and losing. They're all sort of losing. And um, bubs is collecting that money and and there's a lot of like. Trash talk isn't between yeah, all of them, revealing a bit of like hostility. So although they worked well as a team when they got the junk, they don't seem to be much of a team. It's sort of like they're all on their own. It feels a bit like they're yeah, all on their own. Particularly then when uh, Tiger says someone stole rice. Yeah, and yeah. Then he accuses the captain. He's and they have their the captain. And then they all sort of have a bit of a, a fight. They do. And they're not happy. So no. they're clearly they're not. A cohesive no, unit. They're not. So then they're kind of sent on another, or they they pick up another floating well, broken up, car. Well, that was, was a bit that they part? fought over. This is yeah. what was strange because they fought over this spaceshipy thing. Yep. But they re- they handed in just like a a, a component, pallet, yeah, a pallet of junk. Yeah. And now they they they're going to go and rip this thing spaceship apart. thing apart, I yep. guess, for parts. Yep. To sell, and it's in that that Tiger is like. Is it no? Is it, is it Tiger? He pries off the top. I thought no. it was the Tahoe. Yeah, it is Tahoe. Tahoe pries yeah. off the top. Is it? They're all talking. They're talking about starving because they realize yeah. they've got no money, and that's when Bob says, "Yeah, I'll, I'll get the ship." I I'll guess. get the ship. Yeah, yeah, which is great. You, you owe a lot on it, but yeah. opens up the top, and there's all these like balloons in there, which they said were airbags or something. Yeah, they did. I'm yeah. not sure what that means, but but hidden amongst that was a spacesuit, and there's like a little girl, and of course. Something like having these little red sparkly bits come out. And they've recently been talking about the Lagrange Point nanites. Yes. Nanobots, which were, were just, you know, very hungry. They'll eat everything and they'll yep. destroy everything. And they'll, they're indestructible. Yep. And, yeah, so there are a couple of little red bits flying out. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. Is that like an infection that's going to start? Because yeah. I worried about infection. And then, no, no, there's a little girl. She comes out and they get her in. Uh, to the space in, inside yeah. and they quickly recognize her as being this wanted oh. sneeze <laughs> sneeze as as this wanted um supposed weapon of massive destruction mm, yeah. and so there's a bit of a bit of a lighthearted bit i suppose where she goes to sneeze and they all panic and they all run off and lock themselves in their rooms <laughs> they jump down and cover their heads and whatever which you sort of think is if there's a hydrogen bomb in hell, mm. you're covering your head and lying on the ground <laughs> or going to your bedroom is not going to do jack. It's not. No, but they, yeah, so they they go on and they start talking about what they're going to do. Mm. And there is mention that of this terrorist group, Black Fox, that had tried to steal her or something. And so, that, yeah, you're right. They discuss this idea of, oh, well, hang on, we could possibly sell it back to the Black Fox um, and, and, you know, get money, finally get a good payout. Yeah. It's here that you have a few flashes, but from uh, Tahoe, he he sort of has a couple little happy memories with a little girl. 
you don't really get a lot of clarity in what's going on. Mm. Um, but there is a flash here of a, a cutaway because he's looking at this Dorothy, this little girl, and I guess it's, you know, triggering his mind about his own little girl. I, at that point, I wasn't sure if it maybe was his sister or something. You know, yeah, there's going to be some sure sort of like sad story. Sister, because um, he was very young. Because he seemed extremely young to me. Yeah, so I, I wasn't too sure about that. Uh, the crew, the crew, looking through her belongings, find um, in Dorothy's bag a smartphone, like this little phone, and they've, they've, they 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 realise there's a number, and I think it's Ken Yarn or something like that. Uh, and it's just repeated over and over and over and over throughout the phone. And then also because Dorothy's sort of wandered off, she starts to grow a plant. Yeah, she gives it little red sparkles and things. Yeah. And little and bits the, go over this, this tomato plant, which yeah. had earlier died. It yeah. dropped its last leaf. Yes. But it started to kind of reform, started to grow some new... Yeah, some new growth. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> um, I wish you'd come around to my house and yeah, me too. A lemon tree. It doesn't, totally doesn't like it here. Uh, oh, that's a shame. Um, they yeah, so they they realise they can sell it to the terrorists. So they call this number and they do this sort of distorted voice and they have this plan and they think it's the Black Fox group. Um, and they negotiate. First, it was going to be one million. <laughs> it was like a million and a half, and then two million. They really reveal um, themselves to be absolute amateurs. Absolute again. amateurs. For yeah. One million dollars. For one million dollars. No, we, we could do two million. Oh no, we, one and a half. We can give you a discount because, <laughs> yeah, guys, you're just totally destroying. Anyway, they're offered two million at this particular location, and and so they head there. But we also then have a flash that the Sullivan, the CEO, has listened to that conversation. Mm. So we're, we're sort of not revealed everything about it, but we, we see that he knows that they're meeting. Yeah, and then so Tiger sort of has then a, a very soft emotional moment with Dorothy. She's drawing in his cabin, and he sort of starts to have, yeah, quite a nice conversation. And this is the beginning of... You know, well, it's actually probably started when Taho had his flashback to his own daughter, but each character kind of Dorothy brings out something out of them, doesn't she? Yeah. You know, like a, a side of them. So for Tiger, it's kind of he becomes extremely gentle with her and and playful, I think. He gets, you know? he gets very parental. And, yeah, yeah. Or big brother maybe. Or yeah, yeah. So, um, but, he, but he does, he's very soft and gentle about it all and, yeah, and... He, he becomes a big supporter of her very quickly. Yes. Yeah. Early on. When all the commotion happened, Tiger had happened to ring the police. So while they're heading to this uh, destination to, to swap her, suddenly they're, they're boarded by the police and this guy comes on. And I, I felt that that was really sort of Nazi-styled police officer, yeah, wasn't it? You know, had, like He had the grey uniform on. He had the grey uniform, the hat, and he was very well-dressed suit, a bit old-fashioned style. He had the baton that was actually electrified. Um, and it was very... You could tell that it was very tense amongst the crew members, as in uh, he was authority. Like, the police obviously have an authority. And these yeah. guys are not UTS citizens, which is important mm, here because yeah. UTS, UTS citizens are... Scum, basically. Yes, yeah. They, they are not afforded any privilege. No. <laughs> but just as he's about to have it, it was interesting, wasn't it? Like, Captain kind of then called his bluff. Because well, Tahu tries bribing, well, tries bribing, bribing like, he yeah. grabs money out of Bub's uh, money box, which yeah. she's not so happy about, and chucks it in his hand and said, here, just take this, go to get off. Because they only had two minutes or something to get yeah. off the ship and get to this meeting. And 
you know, the, the officer doesn't seem particularly He doesn't say no to the money, but... He said holding it, and that's when the, the captain says, calls his bluff as it were, says, oh, did we record that, you know, like yeah. what just happened there? And the officer suddenly starts looking uncertain. Yeah. Uh, and that's how, you, that's how you know he must be dodgy. And maybe that was her thing. It's just, if you say that and he doesn't look concerned, mm. he goes, well, I certainly hope so. You just tried to bribe an officer. Yeah, yeah. But instead, he looks dodgy. Yeah. Then she would have gone, ah, okay. Yeah. He's he's not on the up and up. So he does. He panic buys, basically. <laughs> yeah, he, he sort of panics a little bit. And then they, they, they this whole thing of, um, you know, um, basically threatening to re- reveal him to the other police and he'll get yep. in trouble. You know, he's got an illegal weapon. And uh, yeah, they basically give him a full dressing down and he drops his... Uh, brave and confident authoritative figure, authority yeah. figure and becomes very scared very quickly yeah, and flees and he just basically hightails it yeah which is great because it gives them the chance then to get down to this nightclub where they organise to meet and hand over Dorothy who is in a sack which is <laughs> interesting a little carry bag with a little window like a little yeah. pet little pet carrier it was and they were, they're all wearing masks because apparently that's what you do in this nightclub it's yeah. a masked ball and they, they're going through there looking around to try and find out. And we see this fellow who's wearing a much sleeker, nicer mask. He's, he's wearing some nice, um, somewhat uniform looking, but yeah. still, you know, he's he's not a part of the party. So you immediately yeah. know he's the guy. Yeah. And then there's soldiers come in and also they start looking. They're up on the balcony up above and they're heavily armoured. They've got... Fancy electronic face plates. They, they look robotic, guns. yeah, and they, they've got obviously special vision and they're kind of chunked up a bit, aren't they? They're, yeah, and they're, they're, they're searching and you overhear them say like, okay, we're trying to get a sight on, uh, you know, Dorothy, Dorothy and, and, and we've got to take them out when we can. Yeah. So you know that the soldier's going to attack. Yep. And the deal starts going down. Uh, Kang, the doctor uh, who is meeting them, has a briefcase and they, they do the whole give us the, the show us the money, you know, show us the girl, show us the money. Okay, shows them the money. And they go, oh shit, it's all there. And they're all like, holy crap. But then, of course, Kang opens up Mr. Kang, Dr. Kang, Dr. Kang. <laughs> Dr. Kang. So he didn't go to nine years of doctor's school to be called no. Mr. Uh, and open up the bag and Dorothy's not there. And mm. this surprises everyone, of course. And they all turn around and we, we see Dorothy's wandering just through the, the crowd and people aren't paying too much attention until. Suddenly someone does. Yes. And they, everyone stops, the music stops, and everyone steps back, and they all open up the little PDAs, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. And up comes a little news report about Dorothy is a yep. weapon of mass Web, destruction. Yeah. She'll destroy you all. They all back away. And then they go, oh, we've spotted Dorothy. And gunfire starts, mm. and there's chaos, and everyone goes running everywhere. And they try and get Dorothy, and they go you know, back and forth, and they finally grab her, and then... Uh, Tahoe is sort of caught with her. Yes. And then they're shooting and the bullets just stop. They hit yes. this barrier yep. uh, and explode around it and they shoot, shoot, shoot. They destroy this huge big chunk of the place. Yeah. But the good guys escape. Yes. And yeah, Captain had sort of watched that and saw, noticed that, yeah, there was some sort of shield happening mm-hmm. during that, yeah. Um, which I'm just thinking now is a bit of foreshadowing really towards the end, isn't it? Really that she shields them at the end as well. Yes, yes. Yeah. She's, she's Hadn't thought about that until you just said it that way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so they make it back to the ship. Uh, Dorothy gets back to drawing with the crayons and that. 
when they've asked what her real name is, she says it's Kotnim, I think. Yeah. yeah, is her career name. And um, Taho starts to sort of ignore her. She starts calling him Uncle. Uncle, yeah. And he's Grumpy Uncle. Um, she still believes he's robot. But then Tiger again is sort of, yeah, he's becoming more and more friendly and fatherly or big brotherly and starting yeah. to have a bit of a you know soft spot for her more and more. And Taho dismisses that and then sets up, he wants to set up another call, you know, to rearrange the exchange, the money. He's saying, think of the money, you know, like we can we can go out there for money of this. And, and they do their whole, their split, how they're going to split the money. Yeah. And uh, there's four of them, you think 25% each? Yes. No, it was like 40% of you, 35% for me <laughs> and 10 for you. And then Bub says, what about me? You know, <laughs> like, am I not part of the crew? Oh, okay. Comes down to 10 for you and like, at no point did anyone just sort of say, how about an even split? No. I don't think they were happy with, yeah, they weren't. And he ended up, Tahoe, he was like four three four three two one, like he'd get 100, right? Yeah, he'd yeah. get 10% or something yeah. stupid. Uh, we have a cut to then going back to Sullivan. He's with these board of directors. They're talking about Mars. They're talking about the TV ad voiceover and stuff like that. But with all this kind of commotion going on, um, he's not too happy. And this is the first glimpse we get that, when he gets really grumpy, he starts to have these veins he popping off his up. face. And I love him, he says, I want to make it very clear that Mars is our only hope for survival. Yeah. <laughs> so is that, but I loved the veins, eh? The veins were yeah, popping off his face and, yeah. See, you know, there is no such thing as a good guy that gets veins like that. No, no, there's You'll no way. Said, like, even, His voice starts getting deep. Even <laughs> Bruce Banner turning to the Hulk. Yeah. His skin goes green, it doesn't have these veins like no, that. No, veins this are never a good thing. Evil guy veins. Evil guy veins, yeah, yeah. And they and red like there's redness to it, right? Like symbolically red is always bad in that way. Doesn't seem to hurt anyone, but all the all the board of directors kind of like <laughs> start looking away in the other direction. Okay. Don't make eye contact. The guy that met the last guy, you know, you can make a comedy out of it. The last guy that was looking at him just got zapped by his veins or something. Yeah, his <laughs> veins. Uh, so nobody even said uh, you should probably get that looked at. Yeah. You're 152. No, they've seen uh, this. They've seen this. They've seen the vein. Yeah, thing. I think they've seen this before, and they, they know yeah. that this means that he's getting serious. He's going to start pronouncing about how humans aren't worth saving. Uh, Dorothy and Taho, they find the tomatoes on the plant um, that Dorothy's been growing. They're kind of looking better and better. And um, they have landed somewhere, haven't they? Sorry. I've, yeah, they're, they, they're, they, the, they're trying to repair the ship. The repair ship, that's right. Growing. It's kind of some sort of landing module. And Bubs is complaining that it's always her money that gets taken yeah. uh, as the emergency money. Remember that battery? And yeah. The, there's no there's no money left. And the, yeah. But they need welding rods. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, Dorothy and Tahu grab this tomato. Most of them are green. Yeah. Which would be gross. Yes. Same as. But, but of course, these, these earthlings have not had fresh food. No. If, so, if any real food, you know. Yeah. So he takes them down and someone like picks up the green tomato <laughs> and bites into it and looks like it's just pure joy. Yeah. <laughs> which, oh, I can only imagine what they normally eat. Yes, yeah. It would be like, a, you know, synthesized algae that tastes like... Wheaties or whatever. What yeah, is yeah. So a green words? tomato would probably taste bloody nice. Yeah, because eh? it's just something so different. Yeah. Uh, and he sells them for like a dollar each. And they yeah. Get, they get $23. And yeah. and there's a few tomatoes left over. And um, Dorothy tries one and says, oh, it's disgusting. Yeah. And 
but the yeah Tahoe Eden Tiger they all have one yeah yeah and they but he manages to buy the the welding the welding rod yeah Captain Jang finds uh, some papers in Dorothy's backpack and goes through them and um, at the same time Bubs is that's where we get that great makeup scene sort of happening which (laughs) really in in reflection now again it's one of those moments I'm thinking no you all that stuff you talked about earlier it's like oh yeah there's a connection there isn't it and. Yeah, I love the way that the makeup kept going on yeah. and on <laughs> and on and on. And on. Yeah. But but isn't that a nice subtlety? Because like little girls, like I was yeah. just saying this even with my four year old, like they do kind of get makeup, and it's not the way women put on makeup. They want to like pile it on like paint and stuff, right? Or well, most women, <laughs> and uh, you, you know. But whereas kids, kids can kind of like paint themselves in a way, and that that's what this was feeling like. But when in reality. Because when we do get Bubs later in the film, she does have really heavy makeup on. Yes. And so it's like a little, again, nice foreshadowing going on there, isn't it? And, and I it hadn't thought of, makes, of that that way. It makes a bit of sense. You imagine here's this robot yeah. wanting, wanting to be yeah, a woman. like a human female. Yeah. And thinking, well, human females, I'll need makeup. Yeah. Yeah. And now a she gets to kind of play of with makeup. it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it was cool that I, I and then thinking back, reflecting on it now, I can really see like it's a nice foreshadowing. Yeah, she also then this is where Bubs tells the story of Tahoe. So she oh, tells her to, the story. To Dorothy, yeah. So you know, like, um, and we get this flashback, and the flashback is nice visually because um, it's done as like a really soft white uh, illuminating light over mm. the whole thing. So it has a nice filter over it, so it looks like a memory. Um, he was a child soldier, destroying everything, everything, and and he was the best, and he was like a leader. And we have this him coming aboard this ship where he's you know they've shot up the people, and there's a a live baby you know in its mum's dead arms, and he kind of has a moment I suppose of softness and takes the daughter, um, and in the story Bub says you know because he. He had a bit of privilege at the time. So he's supposed to hand the babies back, mm. but he sort of took it on and adopted. And I guess, yeah, this story has been told before. It's not something new, you know, like a general in a war taking a child, you know, take, adopting it back yeah. to the States well, he, or whatever. He was a number one soldier, yeah. so he, so, he yeah. could do what he wanted. Screw you, I'm going to take it. So long as he performed, he could do whatever he wanted. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, because she, she does it, she rekindled his humanity and, and Tahoe and found himself problem. unable to hurt others. Because this, yeah, he was meant to be a ruthless child soldier. Yeah. <laughs> and so at the age of 20, he was just not able to perform anymore. Yeah. He was he was done. And so he got fired on the spot. And, and it is actually C.O. Sullivan yeah, that's there that firing it, him. Each each one of these people, the crew members, yeah. was directly a, uh, affected by Mr. Sullivan. Yep. Um, and so being dismissed by the force, he's, made, he's become homeless on the street and he's reduced to being a non-citizen. After a year of being homeless with the the child, um, he became really desperate and started to gamble as a way of like you know he's he's holding on to his last few dollars, sleeping on the street with his daughter, um, and he starts neglecting Sunny, the daughter, and we have this like you know <laughs> real sad scene of him sort of like. Which all parents, we all do it, don't we? Oh, like, yeah. Bugger off, bugger off, get out of my face. I'm, I've, got, I've really got to concentrate on something right now. You know, I'm guilty of doing it. I'm sure you are too. Uh, all the time. Uh, you know, and sometimes Constant, it's well and truly warranted, oh, but no. then other times. <laughs> it's always, always warranted. I keep my yeah. kids locked in a small cage. Yeah. Okay. I need to take notes from you. It's, well, it's a, it's a very big cage. It's bigger than the cage I'm locked in. <laughs> um, hopefully teaching them that one day they don't have to have their own cage. 
Yeah. And if they could bring me with them, that would be great. Yeah, that would be good. So we don't have a culture where we look after our elderly, so no, no, you're going to be in the cold. I oh, know, we're, we're um, changing there. We're changing. This is the generation that changes. <laughs> this is the generation that that changes. Uh, Tahoe, um, yeah, he pushes her away and he's gambling and there's this, you know, she goes off with the kids to kind of buy a pretzel or something like that, a waffle or something, and uh, the guy's like, you need money. And um, with that, there's like a crashing from above, right? So space junk, yeah, crashing down, Chinese rocket that they haven't accounted for, <laughs> oh, smashing through, and it just annihilates this section of the road that uh, it, she's standing on. It depressurizes, yeah, and it's just debris and everything gets sucked out, and all the doors around they get sealed shut. So yeah. Tahoe is inside, is looking around to try and find Sunny, and goes up to the door and looks out and sees all yeah. these bodies and, and debris shooting off, into shooting off into space. Space yeah. junk. Space junk, yeah. As it were. And then he, he goes to the... Is, is this, the story continues, doesn't it? Where he, oh, yeah, yeah. He, he goes to the kind of... Okay, we do the, that, I just the corporation. Yeah, he does. He does. I just didn't write down. Yeah, he goes to the corporation, kind of help us. Oh, sure. Yeah, we can help you. And uh, you know, that's the, the cost normal, is a couple of hundred thousand. Well, it's, it's and like we're normally recovering twenty four thousand. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Like we, 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 says, we yeah, and you know, recovery will be covered. And yeah, there'd be normal one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, um, UTS citizen. Oh, Oh, oh you're a non UTS. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we need and it, cash. Like only. it said, his bank was disqualified and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, yeah, cash. Needed. Cash, cash only. And when he says no, then the, the queue of people is all like, just push him out of the way, yeah, don't like, they? Yeah. You get out of the way. I need my yeah. moment of hope. And so he goes over and he's got this little bracelet which beeps. It's like a, a direction finder or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And when it finally stops beeping, she will have left. The orbit, uh, the yeah. Solar system, I assume, is what they mean. Mm. You know, beyond recovery. So it's his sad little story. That's it. That is that, sad that's, story. And that's why he's so young and had a child. Yeah. Like, and, and why his passion is to be, to get money. He wants money so he can try to find her body. You know, and and he's, got a, he's got a time limit on that yeah, too. It's yeah. coming up close to that limit. They get a phone call and it's from the negotiators. So they kind of renegotiate a new meeting spot. Um, it's a last-ditch effort, but yeah, look, we can do it. Uh, with that, while, while they've set that up, um, Tahoe and uh, Tiger, I think, and they're, they're, set, they're like, yeah, excited. And with that, um, a masked man has followed Cottonium to the toilet in the factory, and so they hear her scream, and they kind of like tie her, and Tiger comes, you know, this is where he's sort of like a Superman, isn't he? And he's kind of like, ch- hunts this balaclava man he, yeah he he runs runs up checks the oh yeah Cottonin's gone and goes chum, chasing after the balaclava dude yeah uh, who's kind of disappears momentarily mm, only just... to then have them uh, face off yep. Do they? yeah yeah there's like a group of them was come there from. a separate scene in there sometimes that happens <laughs> you like they end up being faced off by who are clear? The, the people are clearly the people they traded with before. Yeah, like it's just that. Yeah, they're all wearing masks, but it's just and they're kind of wearing high vis. They're just they're just everyday workers, right? Like you pretty realize normal stuff. Yeah, and they have this fight where they he Tiger basically beats them all up, and you know, like when he's about to like clunk one, which might be lethal. They're like, no, 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 no. You know, we're not that bad. You know, we're not the bad. We're not the real bad guys. Um, and, uh, you know, and then, and so then, and it actually cuts then back to what I was talking about before the Sullivan having this 
I, I called him the journalist. I didn't really know who this guy was, know. but whoever he was, working for the UT. Anyway, because he, he, he's a guy questioning the whole setup and, oh, you keep forgetting about the millions of people, the billions of people on planet Earth, you know. Um, anyway, and so he, the guards bring in in front of them this uh, black fox soldier or whatever, and the black fox has been, we keep getting told at this point that they're a terrorist group. And he, he's lumped down and you can't even see his face and he's tied up. And um, Sullivan says to him, look, I know you keep talking about all those earthlings, but we could bring your family up here, your wife, your children. They'll be safe. They'll be breathing fresh air. Bit of a deal with the devil. All you have to do is kill this man. You know, and he's a terrorist. There's how many movies is this situation brought mm, in? Yeah. And there's, there's usually a couple of ways this happens. One is it's much like what unfolds in this movie. Yeah. Another one is... Uh, they pull the trigger, but there's no bullets. Yes. Because yeah. they, they turn the gun on the person and try and pull it, and there's no bullets. Yeah. And I also thought, Which, surely if someone hands you a gun and tells you to shoot someone, you check to see if there's bullets. <laughs> like, but always that, that example, isn't it? Because they pull the trigger and it's like, no bullets. Like, ah, but you would have killed them. Yeah. So it proves my point, right? And here, it, here there was a bullet. So he but did because he could have just checked. Uh, there is a bullet in there. Yeah. Like I'm gonna shoot Sullivan. Yeah, bang, a couple of times. I'm sure his veins would have yeah, <laughs> popped him out of it. Yeah. Anyway, but anyway, and then that cuts to the leader of the Black Fox is actually these Balaclava man. This man we know from earlier, the the um the the, the trader, the recycler, the junk dealer, and stuff. Um, and they explain that, well, no, they're not a terrorist group. They're actually an environmental group. They're Greenpeace. They're environmentalists. <laughs> and they, they found that uh, this, you know, Dr. Kang's daughter suffered a, a nerve problem. Yeah, they tell the story a of Dorothy. Yeah. nerve defect. And so Kang used an experimental nano bot injection. Yes. Which cured her. Yep. But it also, like, allowed, they are communicative. Yes. So that they could keep operating within her body to um, keep her functioning. Yeah. But it turns out they, they could also communicate with other nanobots around her where yeah. she could uh, use them. And this was sort of the source then of this tree of life that was rejuvenating Mars. Yes. But it wasn't, that wasn't the only thing. She modified this tree, but that wasn't the only, like, there's no reason that this tree only works on Mars. Like, yeah. She made that tomato plant yeah. bloom, for example, as yeah. we know. So it could work on Earth, so and yet Sullivan's Sullivan... choosing not to save Earth. Yeah, yeah, he's choosing not to save Earth. And in fact, now he wants to destroy um, Dorothy. Like, that's the whole setup. And we cut back to uh, Sullivan, and he's with this guy who's just shot this black fox, which we now know is they're just environmentalists. They're not as bad as what Sullivan is making them out. And because he shot him, he's like, ah, and he bolts him to the wall. And we don't then see what he does, but he again, he says that dilemma. He goes, ah, you just proved the greed of humans yeah. and why you all need to be wiped out. This is why I'm only taking the... The good like, ones, the rich ones. Yeah, it's just, co- it's just, just coincidental they're rich. <laughs> you think, really? Yeah, I don't think so. It's, I suppose it would be easier to find, go through all the rich people and find good people. Yeah. But, you know... You didn't bother going through any of the poor people at all. So yes, yeah, it's that it's that fallacy of um, uh, you know, you, you hear it with jobs and people's complaint about having say quotas for women or for um, you know, minority races or mm, whatever. Yeah, they go, oh, but the best person should get the job. It doesn't shouldn't be a quota. You sort of like, well, 
Well, now, how do you know you've got the best person if you're only interviewing men? Yeah. The whole point is now you're going to have to find the best person who's a woman. Yeah. Or who who is, you know, from this nationality or yeah. minority group. Mm. And it's this case here where he's sort of gone, yes, I've only picked up the, the best and the nicest, most noble people. Yes, they will have me rich. And my suspicion is that he only interviewed rich people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so why didn't, like, if he had a quota of it, there must be half of them from the poor people, then he would have had to have interviewed enough poor people to find yeah. the spaces. And out of the four billion or however many people left on the planet, you're telling me he couldn't find a few good people? Yeah. Really? We know a few good people on this ship, don't we? Sorry. Well, that's... Well, they're, well, they're a bit debatable at this point in time still. Debatable at this point, yes. <laughs> um, so the UT, yeah, the UTS, UTI soldiers <laughs> attack, and it's much easier to say for some reason, uh, where they are and they have this kind of big chase through the air vents. Um, and, uh, they, they actually destroy a lot of those black fox. They just kind of like annihilate them, don't they? Oh, no, that, that's that's when they finally... Oh, that's at the next bit. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, yeah. Them, yeah. sorry, that's the next scene. But, yeah, they, they have this big chase through those air vents and there's kind of like a near escape where um, Tahoe actually grabs Dorothy. He's got her on her back and he, like, runs and jumps off and Bubs grabs him and is like, why don't you just jump? That's really stupid. And they're kind of hanging on for their life, aren't they? Um, and this robotic UTI soldier, <laughs> UTS soldier, She's really like um, she's like the head one. She's she's Barbara. something. Yeah, Barbara. 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 <laughs> she because she's got the glow in the eyes too, doesn't yeah, she? She's got she's got a bit of a, a, a shine to her. Yeah, eyes. I don't know what the what her deal. And she seemed a bit. She's definitely not totally human. No, she seemed she a bit super, super strength. Yeah. Anyway, so she, there's a near miss there. Like they only just get away from her. Um, and actually, as soon as they get into space, what I liked about this moment in the film is like they've just escaped that, but then they've got these ships now firing on them. So it was a really cool science fiction yeah, action it wasn't, bit. Okay, you've got away. Congratulations. That's right. Now you've got into space. Now you get to chase, be chased by rockets. And I must admit, like this scene, and then later the the way the spaceships. Did you feel it was a bit similar to Occupation Rainfall? There was a, there was a really cool kind of battle scene going on with the spaceships and stuff. Yeah, it was. It did have that. Um, dog fight sort mm, of uh, but, World but in, War Two yeah. dog fighting sort of feel to it. Yes. Yeah, I think Occupation probably had it a bit like it went for longer and maybe a bit more detail of a scene. But the, yeah, this had it as well. I could see some similarities anyway. Um, they end up going sort of they're being fired upon and they sort of like stumble across a space debris field, which kind of has this like electronic fencing and they, and they all regret they've like entered it, haven't they? And it's, it's too late, it's and it's a nanobot. Point, as yeah, they keep talking about which yeah. is, which is, that's the point of equal gravitational pull between bodies. Right. So uh, you'll end up with a pool of debris there. Yes. If it is able to reach there, because if you're close enough to say Earth, you will try you to fall get... towards Earth, and if you're going fast enough, you'll miss Earth yeah. and you'll orbit. Uh, if you're closer to the moon, you'll orbit the moon until you fall into the moon. Yeah. But if you're at the right point between the Earth and the moon, where their gravitational fields are of equal strength, then you will have effectively no gravity and you will not orbit. You will sit there in this point. So that's, what <laughs> that's this, what's going on that's, with this. That's what this is going on here. I don't know if it's between the Earth and the moon, but it's the Lagrangian point is a, a point of of equal uh, gravitational pull between 
different bodies. Yeah, and then, but anyway, and here this is where all the nanobots are sort of stuck, and so they start like going all over the ship and eating everything, and just yeah, it's like a rust, rust, like cancer, you know, yeah, just starts crunches all yeah, over, crunches, it. It, and they all hearing it, and they all give in, they give into it because they're like, well, it's obviously just gonna eat us alive, basically, or eat the ship alive, mm. and. um uh, yeah, and then but then with that, the uh, Dorothy starts to control them, and they kind of sink, and so then they all just kind of gently float off, float off, leaving yeah. the ship intact. So the crew do decide to unite Kotyim or Dorothy with her father and disable the bomb uh, with the help of the Black Foxes. Um, so they will locate the bomb and they'll take Doctor Kang to the meeting point. So which they end up having at this factory kind of meetup is scheduled. Um, when they arrive there, they kind of meet up. Uh, he gets to see his daughter. There, you know, there's a happy moment. Um, but then they realise that they're ambushed. Yeah. So this was this was that um, turning point that you get in films where yeah. it's, it's a happy point. You go, yeah. Ah, oh, okay. They've come together as as a team. Yeah. They've decided to help Dorothy, and they've done this. And and this usually, I suppose, this is kind of going to the Dark Knight of Soul. We go rush is, yeah. death where things are heading one direction and you think it's done something and then, yeah, inverse of soldiers and everyone sort of gets... Annihilated, yeah. And they say, yeah, kill everyone, keep the crew. Yep. And Splat, in walks Sullivan with his big bag of money. <laughs> he's got four million, so he's doubled the money again, hasn't Although he? Although that looked like more than $4 million he dropped yeah. because they were $500 notes. Mm-hmm. And stacks of them. Oh, One well, of those stacks. Maybe you can't count Sullivan. He's so rich. Five hundred thousand yeah. dollars, like that. But anyway, it's a big, obvious, big huge pile, pile of money. money. And and the whole point there is to kind of, uh, you know, say to Tahoe that, hey, you know, you've been doing this quest. Drop it. Take the money. I think Sullivan enjoys rubbing it in people's faces, yeah. like you uh, are a dirty little dog. Aren't you? <laughs> that's right. Here's your filthy money. It yeah. means nothing to me. That's right. But what you squabble over as you give up your, your morals and ethics of selling this girl off to certain death. Yeah, that's right. You, you'll sell her off to death, whereas... Where's, where's your nobility? Yeah. Um, you'll prove in my point, you know. That, and that, that's what I meant earlier, that he, the, all the scenes it's, it's of him... It's kind of entrapment, though, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's like, if what's he supposed to do? Refuse the money and get shot? Yes. And then he gets the girl anyway? Like, he wasn't no. exactly in a situation where there was any choice except to just kind of wait for the situation to resolve. But it's a good, it's a good, like the whole film. So he started the film. He wants money. And yes. and we learn along that journey that actually he does have a bigger purpose for the money. It's not like he just wants the money to lie on the beach. He wants the money to try to reclaim his daughter's body. So he does have an actual, you know, it's, it's not quite a save the cat because of some of his behavior. Like it he, is a bit, it's but admirable it, it's admiral, you know, and he, love. and he, and it's very one, you know, it's very like if I get money, I can do that. You know, and then maybe after that, he doesn't even know what he's going to do. Um, but then it's like, what are you willing to do? And in this case, sell a little girl off who will die yes. to the bad guys. But then so you, you do can recover so, so your you can re- body. Yeah, so girl? it's like you know, so you're one-eyed, focused on your goal so much. And at this point, you know, you are you're heading into that th- three act, the third act. Will the protagonist? still do what he's always done, which is I want the money to find this body mm. or will he have grown? And so it's a good scene, that scene, because 
he's going, no, I'm going to take the money. So he hasn't actually grown yet. So as an audience, we're like, ah, oh, oh, come on, Tao, come and on. And the, and the rest, <laughs> and of course, uh, Sullivan leaves and yeah. takes the girl and the rest of the crew are like, okay, fine. What do we need to do to get her back? How do yeah. we chase them, get out of here, do something? Yeah. And, you know, there's no particular plan, of course, because it's just like, well, you know, whatever. And, and Tyler says, well, I'm off. I'm off. I've got the he money. He tries to convince me. He says, you know, we've got this money now. Like, yeah, yeah. Why do we have to struggle? Let's just yeah. get out of here. Yeah. And he goes off to yeah. to recover and he pops the money up on the bench and there's $400,000 in there. And and the woman's like, oh, wow, okay, you, you've you've done it. Yeah. And he finds the... um. She kind of gives him a crate of belongings, yeah, doesn't here's, she? Yeah. Here's, yeah, here's the stuff. And he finds that the book and reads a little message, you know, you want to be a, a good man or whatever it is. Yeah. And that's when he turns around and goes back. Yes. He's he goes back because and, and as he as as he does, he's learned, he's realized the reason he wanted his daughter was because that was something that was bringing the goodness in him. Mm. You know, that was that was what made life worthwhile. Yep. And here he is now turning his back on other people who also can do the same thing, make the life yeah. worthwhile, given purpose and, and yeah. community and love. And Which is, I suppose, a bit back to being a child soldier, right? Like when he was a child soldier, it was very one-eyed, you know, destroy well, everything. Look, I've got to say, success. when I was a child soldier, all I did was <laughs> just chase after... In space the, as well. Chase after the bounty, I would drink the rum, and I would... Um, Collect your dividends. No, that was a game I was playing. <laughs> I wasn't a space a child soldier either. We have yeah. uh, Sullivan Goes Lies, and I know on Instagram that um, Richard Artemage has has uh, you know shared this image. He, he said, "Look, look at me! I'm massive on Mars." You know, and it's that he, he appears, you know, as a yes. giant soul, not on Mars, on the flat Earth. Who wrote people? We like godlike, right? Yeah, he's, and he's, he's like massive. He's got a real god complex. God complex, and he's like, "Oh, it's announced in the Mars program. Have a look! I've built a whole new planet." I I am God, you know. I mean, it pretty Just much to put is, in the veins back. <laughs> it pretty much is, uh, you know, God with uh, Noah's yeah, Ark and all the rest is. of it. Yeah. So then we we have so he's announced this, and everyone's like, "Oh, terrific! I love I love this idea of going back to Mars because that means that they don't have to be in space with the space junk, right? Like that's the whole point. They get to Mars, they can be more protected. I and, think that I feel like that was the point. As Bigger well, planet to grow yeah. and you know and feel Earth. Earth is nice, but it, it is yeah, limited, limited in size. Yeah. Um, so then there's this massive chase with the ships and they work as a team. It's a massive big dogfight, um, uh, etc. Um, and they, they have to work at that, that to get beyond all the guards. Um, we see that then the bomb has been armed in the factory and, um, Dorothy Cottenham is strapped to it on the chair. Um, so the, the team free, Cotton him, um, but Captain Jang discovers that the bomb cannot be diffused. It's too late. It's too late. And there's a 5,000 kilometer radius that the well, what did they nanobots call? have to be that beyond? This wave was Kryptonian wave, or yeah, something, something like that. They gave it a name, it's didn't like, they? Yeah, Blast slightly range. greasy solar photons, yeah. or whatever and because she's got the nanobots, it will affect her. Yes, right? it'll, yeah. it'll basically wipe her, um, kill her. Yeah, because she had this congenital thing that the nanobots is what is fueling her nervous system, basically. Yeah. So they set off. They basically like, let's go. Let's go to the 5,000 Ks. We just have to. Like, let's just do that. The bomb will detonate here. Let's just get 5,000 kilometers away. Um, but they're interrupted by Barbara. 
Barbara. <laughs> and you have one of these great kind of fight scenes, don't you, where it's like she's so much stronger and more powerful and smarter and all that than all of them, knocking them all out and kind of getting closer to Dorothy. Um, and Tiger just basically locks himself in a cage with her, you know, and it's a fight to the death. It's a cage fight. Yeah, it's a cage fight. And he's not doing very well with it all. As you'd um, expect. As you would expect. She was kind of smashing that robot yeah. a bit. And yeah. so throwing him around a bit. It was pretty easy. and he, But he has a bit of a kind of sneaky plan, which is kind of he pulls an hooking him. Ripley. Yeah. <laughs> hooking himself onto the side of the spaceship. And, you know, good old-fashioned airlock, and they're sucked out. But, no, she's strong enough. She's holding on. And this is where the whole time he's been having this axe in his back pocket. Oh, he that mentioned the thieves. If there was any of the thieves he caught, he'd chop off chop their hand. Chop their hand. So he, like, lifts that up and... Keep one of them and hand one of them back. Yeah, knocks the hand off. And Bub said, oh, well, I, I'd like a hand. You never <laughs> asked me if I wanted a hand. So, yeah, he rips off, and she's ejected from the, from the factory. So then they send out... They're, they're kind of in this... Oh, you know, we've got to get 5,000 Ks away. So they send out a message of this is the hope, you know, yes. like, I mean, the film's been indicating hope to me anyway, but this is the bit that they send a message out to all those space sweepers that they were so competitive with at the start of the film and not friendly with. Um, and again, I liked that, and I never said it earlier in the film, but it was great, wasn't it, that there was like Canadians and there was French and there was Chinese, Chinese and, the Russian and the Russians and... um uh, Japanese, I think, were there as well. So it was a kind of a really interesting how they were all a mix of races, you know. Yeah. Um, and the film tried to do that, you know, throughout. Uh, so they do, and she gives a good old kind of Bill Pullman Independence Day yes. sort of you speech. You could all run away, but you could stand and you could fight and you could... To and me, this- I, I thought, well, hold on, I hope you've got a bit of a plan because what you're saying is you can either get 5,000 kilometres away yeah, or, you know... You can stay here and you do a bit of fight to some end. Not yeah. sure what, but, <laughs> but but it's revealed what that was all about. Yeah. Because we this is one of those uh, unreliable shots. Yeah, where we're not get privy to all the information. No, we're, we're, we're not. only given some of the information, which we're is clever enough to give us an impression. Because they jump in their ships and they fly off, and yeah, they're getting the support. So they they they're rocketing through. They're doing like a. Uh, Millennium Falcon through the Death Star from mm. Return of the Jedi. They are. And they're losing some of the drone fighters that's smashing mm. against the walls and stuff. And then this French dude who has always had like this thing for the Captain mm. Jam, Kim or Jane or whatever her name is. Uh, I can't remember what her name was now. Captain... Captain Jang. Yeah, Jang. The actress's name is Kim. Yep. Yeah. Captain Jang. Uh, and then he peels off. Like, and I was sort of a bit mystified like what he's doing like is he trying to because he doesn't lure any of them off with him or anything no. so i was genuinely going well, what was that about it was that just him being a lover boy trying yeah, to yeah. show off yeah and then they fly off and you know there's a, a chase and there's like rockets and there's drones being destroyed yeah, and like the space sweepers are using their weird harpoons and funny yeah. claw arms and 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 it, it goes on and on and, and yeah. they go shooting off and they say, we reached 5,000 kilometers. They're getting close to the 5,000. The 5,000 yeah. kilometers, yeah. And they finally, like, the engine breaks down and they, like, they're just drifting at this point. Yeah. And they're all, like, sort of saying their goodbyes. And then it's <laughs> Sullivan. Oh, yeah, Sullivan. Comes jumped. up and he's whatever freaking 
robotic mech ship that starts crawling over yeah. the, the surface here and they have a bit of a fight with that, don't they? Have a full-blown fight with him. Um, uh, you know, there's, he, he finally rips open the cargo bay doors. Yeah, yeah. And this is where we see they've got the hydrogen bomb in the ship. In the ship. And he's like, no, that's not my plan. Oh, naughty. <laughs> Where's they, Dorothy? And so they all say their goodbyes. You know, I love yeah. you and you guys are my only friends. And, and it's where we get a cut back. Don't we? We get we get yeah. flashback to their plan, which is ah, oh, we will take the bomb for five thousand k's. Yes, and you take Dorothy in the opposite direction, basically, isn't it? Like you keep her safe down this way. Yeah, because how else are they going to save Earth? Yeah, just yeah. taking Dorothy away, and this is why it was a bit confusing when yes. they started doing this because you're thinking, yeah, what about how Earth? Does, yeah. what's the incentive? Like you're going to fight mm. this factory goes down. Mm. Why? Okay, yeah, sounds a bit rough, but. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. And and I, was, I was actually, for a moment, thinking that this would be uh, a real non-Western ending. Yes, me too. Thinking, yeah, yeah. I thought oh, they're yeah. going to have like this. Yeah. You know, they're in the ship called Victory, mm. and they've defeated, but they've all sacrificed themselves totally. Yeah, yeah. Because they, because we were having these shots in these last moments before it did go off of like the rich because pe- the rich people are realizing that. Sullivan has tricked them. They've released some footage of that. And then the people on Earth are like, oh, this thing's about to come down and wipe out a couple of billion people. And so it's all like you're seeing the sort of the aftermath that, yeah, if they blow up and they take out Sullivan, it's like they're going to be heroes, aren't they? They're sort of saving the day, but, you know, they're going to die themselves. Um I, I agree, yeah. I thought there was going to be a bit of a non-Hollywood version. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about that. Yeah. Because it, it was coming up and I thought, because I was going, actually, this is a Korean film. I, it's entirely possible mm. that he's going to just go, have more go down in a blaze of glory. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, Snowpiercer was kind of like that too. Yeah. Like, um, Features face fought all his way through to the end and then... <laughs> They all, yeah. What was his name? Who was it? There was Evans, um, Chris Evans. Chris Evans, well, yeah. yes. Uh, they all died at the end, yeah. and it was this junky woman. She's the one that survives who, it with the with the child. Goes out into the cold, and you're like, okay, well, that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. So, I was, uh, so here I am, prime thinking, okay, I don't, actually don't know what this end is going to be. Like, if this was James Cameron, I'd go, no, they'll survive. Yeah. Um, there were, if it was James Cameron, one of them would have died mm. and they, they would have survived. Yeah. Uh, or if it was Spielberg, they would have survived, but they would have been close. Yes. But this was, this was some Korean director I, I have no history of. Yeah. Uh, except for some Korean films, which like Train to Busan. I don't know if you've seen that. No, I haven't actually seen that's, that. That's yeah. quite good, but uh, I won't spoil the ending for you. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not complete death or anything, but it's not a Hollywood ending. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And, you, you, and here you, I am just thinking, okay. And and so I was preparing myself thinking, how am I going to feel about this? Am mm. I going to be like, oh, I really want to see, you know, um, Bubs get her skin. Mm. Or I, you know, and I thought, actually, no, it'd be kind of, kind of cool. I could respect yeah, yeah. it. I could respect this at this point. They've done well enough that they've, they've all come full circle. They've all, yeah, grown, yeah. they've all learnt, they've all, uh, and sacrificing their lives like for everyone else like this is kind of cool. Yeah. But it's not to be. Nope. It got stolen from me. <laughs> which was, which I was actually also quite pleased with. Yeah. Because it would have been a slightly darker tone to this film. 
I think I, I agree with you. I, was, I wasn't sure where it was going to head in that way, but I think the tone being such a big blockbuster, such a big, you know, like good guys coming, the hope coming, that then when they did blow up, I thought, oh, if they're dead, I think that's going to be a bit too severe for this story. Yeah, you know, the, like the, they kind of... The tone was and, a little bit and so lighter then it than was that. Too, one, yeah, it was a lot lighter and... Felt like they'd done all the right things. I think that's the thing. They'd done all the right things. It wasn't like they were sacrificing themselves. I wasn't prepared for them to be totally dead, I think. They, they didn't <laughs> need to sacrifice themselves to prove to prove. Yeah, they had done they'd that. They'd done that, yeah. Yes, okay, yeah. no, yeah. And, um, yeah, then we sort of have the flash of red and the fact is they've been protected. And, and as I said earlier, I didn't think until we were just talking about this earlier that um, she protected them in the nightclub and that's what she does here. Dorothy does the same thing. So she surrounded them by the nanobots so the bomb went off but they were okay. Yes. And um, But Sullivan would, would would have been ripped to pieces. Yeah, yeah, Sullivan pieces. Was, was not yeah. in a good place. Um, yeah, and then so in the aftermath of the battle, uh, UTS apologises for the cover-up of the true goals and promises to help make Earth more habitable. Uh, Cottonim is adopted by the crew. They're all getting a nice big and, feed for the first time. And I like that UTS wasn't like just collapsed and destroyed yeah, and everything. Yeah. Like they just did what you'd expect a corporation yeah. to do, which is like, and, and I think to be honest, I think those board weren't entirely pleased no. with Sullivan. Well, they were, but they wanted Sullivan, the voiceover. But some of them was taking them, yeah. um, taking them to Mars. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's just that sort of thing, well, he is being effective and like they yeah. can fool themselves yeah. until they heard the whole full plan because they didn't really know the full plan. Uh, but it was nice in that they just sort of still took all the rich people to Mars. Yeah. That still happened, which because I think it would have been really unfair to the poor rich people just because they were rich. Like they, they themselves were just, you know, fine people. Yeah. I'm sure, they, I'm sure they're perfectly good. There's no reason why they should suffer, but... It's yeah. nice that UTS and just sort of apologize. Oh, we'll we'll help to rehabilitate rehabilitate Earth. Yeah, we're still going to go ahead with the Mars project because that's too cool. Yeah, and to be honest, if I was on Earth and I heard that, I'd go, "You got to do the Mars thing. That's yeah. just way cool." Huh. Plus, I want to go there one day. You know, that's right. <laughs> um, so the, yeah, and they adopt Kotim, and you know, she's using her powers for good. She's slowly. There's kind of a flash of her kind of like growing. Yeah, every now and then she goes down the planet and grows yeah. a tree. Um, and, and I'm assuming these are those tree of life things which absorb uh, toxic elements and put out heaps of oxygen or something. Funny. Yeah, yeah. Tahoe is enabled to say goodbye to Sunny. So, you know, he gets a kind of an actual goodbye. Oh, he gets a good one. He, he a has a nanobot. Yeah, it's a, it's a virtual reality style. Um, and it's a flashback to her writing in that book when he said goodbye to her, him discovering the book. And, you know, the book said, you know, she'd written, I want to be a good person like you. Mm. So it's kind of like, you know, connecting all those dots. Yeah. Uh, and Bubs gets her skiff ground and skin ground, sorry. And, and that's the really interesting thing that, yeah, she's a woman. <laughs> yes. In lots of makeup. But as we still talk. has the same robot voice. Still which, has the same robot voice. Which is, well, you kind of had to do that so we knew who it was. Yes. But then, yeah, there's that little scene there where uh, Bub says, oh, so which of these voices should I have? Like, this is one. Some people say that I sound sexy. <laughs> You're like, oh, don't choose that one. Jeez. Uh, and Cottonham says, oh, I like the voice you've got. Yeah. Which is, again, kind of thing. And then, you know, Bubs goes, oh, well, thanks. I'm kind of sick of it, mm. which is, you know, again, fair enough. 
It's it's like it's not that Bubs feels that she has to change the voice. It's just that she doesn't want the voice anymore. No, she doesn't want it. And Taho has got some nice new shoes, and oh, he right. gets ready and gets the engine pumped. Tiger then does his old-fashioned priming, pumping that every, big puff. Everything's looking a bit cleaner. Everything's looking a bit, a bit fresher. Nicer, yeah, the first they, time it was all like red glows, and it was yeah. But now you can see it, it's the ship's had a big clean up, and it's all been fitted out. But they're still space sweepers. They are, and they go hunting a big chunky old spacecraft, don't they? Comes flying past at the end. Yes. Yeah. A big <laughs> golden treasure for them to. Although you'd sort of think, surely someone could give them a reward, but like they just spend the whole reward on. Their well, maybe they got a reward and they had dinner and they, you know, that you know, yeah, you know, okay. you know, that was the whole point. Um, so, what about the ladder? Sorry, where you're putting it? So, we do a ladder on every episode, just more ranking the films in order of the way that we believe you should watch science fiction. If you you have a look at our all the episodes we've done now, this is episode. 57 um so we've we've looked at 57 films some are deemed classics so they kind of get their own special order but this regular one is about looking at all the other films that we've looked at in between there's a lot now our ladder is growing and uh where do you put space sweepers on yours sorry Uh, i like to put it down uh at number 37 so this one here would either come just after watching alligator Yep. As you can imagine yourself, you watch Alligator and you're watching this, or just after watching The Wandering Earth. Mm. Because it's it has a similar color scheme and look to The Wandering Earth, but there's this contrast. The Wandering Earth is all is very strongly about having this hope and pulling together, working in unison. Yeah. Throughout the, the whole thing, that the, even the whole Wandering Earth project itself is about working in unison. Yes. But... This one here, you could you could easily sort of be fooled and think it's similar, but it's not. It's about this uh, a family unit yes. developing and overcoming these apparent problems mm-hmm. uh, to 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 unify to help everyone else. Like yes. that sort of um, giving yourself mm-hmm. for other people, whereas the the wandering earth is more about coming together as a single force. Yes, as, I yeah. think that's the way. So I. So, yeah, one way or the other, either you're heading in one direction, so you watch The Wandering Earth and then you see this one, or you're coming the other way, you watch Alligator, and so you've got some 1980s good stuff. And Alligator was really good for all of that um, imagery it used mm. and, and some of the, the language of the way it uh, told us about things. Yes. And then you hit Space Sweepers, which is a bit more of a Hollywood blockbuster style. Yeah. And The Wandering Earth, I, I think it's that'd be nice sort of... Um, yeah, you'd be getting a nice nice taste in your mouth at that point, I think. <laughs> For me, it came in a bit higher on my sort of ladder. Um, I've put it uh, after Af- uh, Other Life, sorry, which was, the, you know, the one in Perth um, in the future of the chips in the brain and stuff. And before Brother from the Other Planet, I guess I looked at this. I really enjoyed the journey that these guys went on. And I also thought it was a real kind of you're saying family yeah it felt like a real connection to them i liked the villain i liked the science behind this one with the robot and um even just this whole social society that they set up i I really did like it and i also thought that the 
kind of the dog fights that did remind me of Occupation Rainfall and I thought they were done really well. I, I thought the robot was excellent how that had... I thought it was ex- the robot was excellent on two fronts. The fighting that the robot did and that harpooing stuff was really cool, but then also the fact that it had such a deeper agenda to it. I, I just really enjoyed yeah. that. Like I haven't seen... I, as I said earlier, I haven't seen robots do that and I just... It felt... You know, like it, it felt really clever and it felt very science fictiony to me. Thing, again, one of the things I was just didn't feel so about cliche. This robot is it wasn't the smart ass robot. Yeah, it was that's a, li- right. a little bit sort of you know mouthy, but yes, but didn't have that usual like usually this robot character either has a very comedic role, mm. like uh, a lot of the you know robot troopers in Star Wars that yeah. are kind of bumbling. Or it has like a real sort of uh, acid tongue, sort of sarcastic. Thing. Yeah. And this had a little bit of that. It was a bit more human. As yeah, like I said, you don't see this type of robot much in science no. fiction or at all. But I think for me on my ladder, I think it goes well. They get something. It's interesting, isn't it? For you, it's after Alligator. For me, Brother of the Planet, like coming in from something that's a little bit more kooky, uh, a little bit more eccentric you know, getting your head around, but really enjoying that experience of watching Brother from Another Planet and then kind of coming to this, which is much more the big open mm. blockbuster dogfights, you know, will they win the day? Will they not win the day? Hope for humanity, a really great bad guy. Um, but it's still got a bit of substance. It's still got enough substance, this film. And the, and the more that like when we just went over it, then I'm realizing that there was some very clever foreshadowing going on. It does also have this weird connection to The Wizard of Oz, like a real nod to The Wizard of Oz. You've mentioned Metropolis. I think, yeah, Metropolis is actually heavy in this film. Mo- Moby Dick. I've never you know, watched like, or read Moby yeah. Dick, so I don't really know. But just this, because that's all about chasing the Holy Grail, isn't it? The, yes. the white whale, yep. the obsession, which is yep. what Tahoe has. Yes. And then we've got harpooning scenes. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah so there is a connection there, I there think. Is, and, you know, the white whale's out in the ocean, mm. Ahab's chasing it, and in this one, Tahoe's daughter is out yep. in this ocean of space yep. and chasing and will never find it. He'll never find it, so, yeah. And, and, I mean, I think the other thing is, like, you and I have touched on some scenes in this film that on one side they could be the cliché, but then this film doesn't make them the cliché. No. And so to me that's what kind of, like pulls it up a little bit higher on my ladder. Um, but then, yeah, to go from that to, if you watch it on my ladder, going from the brother to the brother from another planet to Space Sweepers, big blockbuster, then to Other Life, which is more, you know, in the mind and breaking reality. I think that would be a nice little trilogy of films there. And Ben C. Lucas could, you know, write a film in the past year or coming up and enter it in the film festival. He definitely could. He he'd, could. Be able, he'd be able to compete in the Western Australian, you know, well, so could Australian jo- um, titles. And Joe Sung He could enter the international feature film competition, he couldn't he? Could get the international feature. <laughs> this hey, came out in twenty twenty one. He could enter it. Joe, enter it. We'll screen it. Yep, we will if have we a look can at get it. The if, if it's selected, <laughs> if we're allowed to screen it. Yeah. So sorry. What about the science of space sweepers? Science of space sweepers. Need I say anything more than nanobots? Everyone loves nanobots. I love nanobots. They appear in a lot <clears throat> of science fiction. Uh, the funny thing is, we have two different concepts or two different technologies, which both tend to get mixed with the, together. So microbots, mm. yes, and nanobots. Yep. And 
they use I think they were referred to as nanobots in this, yes. but in reality they were microbots. Oh, okay. Interesting. And the reason I say they are microbots and not nanobots is because you could see these microbots. There's little little red glows, little dots every now and then. You can see yep. them drifting about the place. And that's because a microbot is anything, you know, a machine that is smaller than one millimeter. Right. So we're talking about something uh, the size of a grain of salt or down yep. to like a uh, human hair width uh-huh. type of thing. Yep. Whereas a nano is down molecular level. So the technology involved in nano machines is also not the technology we're thinking of because we're thinking of like little mechanical computer doodads yes. right, doing stuff. But down at the nanoscale, you don't have enough um, material to do that with. You mm. you can't build arms and legs and stick a chassis on it and all of that sort of goodness. So you're talking about, really what you're talking about there is really smart molecules or collections of molecules, right. yep. sometimes embedded inside bacteria in because you've got these problems with with tiny little machines is movement and power so if we were to assume that they can get power because you could you you could use uh you know um electromagnetic fields and some Uh of these existing experiments that used today they basically bathe them in laser or um you know oscillating magnetic fields and so forth to give them some sort of power Mm -hmm. but movement at the micro and nano scale doesn't work like it does at the macro scale. Mm-hmm. So when we build a robot, even a very small one like the size of a, an ant, it's under the effect of gravity and so it can get friction on the ground and walk. Yeah. And you can make little actuators that will do that. When you're down to the point of, let's down to nano, mm-hmm. uh, the interference with air molecules is greater than the effect of gravity. Right. So you have this problem that basically you can't put a nanomachine on a surface and have it walk around on the surface without having some sort of uh, chemical adhesion. Yes. There. Yeah, it'll, yeah. it'll get hit by you know a stray passing air mo- you know, molecule and it'll be blown away and it'll <laughs> float around like dust. Yes. Which is, you know... Not very helpful. So they're usually done in a liquid medium hmm. uh, because liquid is a little bit more controllable. It, it doesn't just expand to fill the available space like gases do. Yeah. And so you, it's, you're talking about little very smart molecules. You could even refer to some of these um, COVID vaccines, these mRNA vaccines, which go in and program your cells to defend against the spike proteins. They're kind of nano machines. Yeah, right. Um you, where you draw the line maybe is that a nano machine would be something that is um, multi-component mm. operating in function for a, for a, some sort of purpose, yeah. Rather than just a drug, which is just like a single item. And so sometimes they talk about uh, retrovirus being a having cellular machinery, mm-hmm. which is it has like a, a gripper, it's got a delivery device, and then it has a payload. Yep. And so that's kind of like a little machine. So viruses are kind of these nanomachines. But what we're talking about in this film is micro-machines. Mm-hmm. Little millimeter-sized or slightly smaller. Yeah. Uh, still small enough that you can you know, inject them into people. Small enough that... Uh, but big enough that they can be made of circuitry and components and have um, you know wireless communication. 
So when you're down the nanoscale, yet the molecules you can't uh, you can't have any um, intelligence in that. There's not enough. It's sort of the intelligence is more chemical intelligence. Yeah. At the micro scale, IBM has just announced their uh, development of two nanometer scale um, CPU chips. Right. Which means in they they've got transistors down to the equivalent of two nanometers, although it's it's not true two nanometer technology mm-hmm. in that. Yeah. But anyway, the equivalence transistors in two nanometers scale. So you could imagine that if you've got a nano machine, you could have like one transistor that won't do anything. Yes. But at the micro scale, you could have thousands of transistors, mm. and that's probably more powerful than what we sent people to the moon with, you know? Yeah, right. Which is mostly humans with slide rulers anyway. But just so down at that tiny little scale, you could have actual electronics. And we haven't got to there yet because, you know, we just, this power delivery, how do we power these things? You can't yeah. put little batteries in them. They're working on various power things. But what I want to really talk about is this uh, experimental robot swarm done, uh, oh my goodness, Harvard University, I believe. Mm-hmm. Let me just get my notes for this. Because <laughs> I want to be able to get names and places right. Uh, they deserve a lot of credit. Definitely. Um, thousand. It's called the Kilo Swarm because it's got 1,024. So these little critters are little robots the size of a one-cent coin. Yeah, right. If you like. So they're still, they're not micro, but they're, they're very small. Yeah. Like realistically, you look at a one cent coin, it's maybe one and a half centimeters across. Yeah. Two centimeters. You're not tiny. two centimeters. It's, it's little. And, yeah. uh, you know, obviously you can't go too little or it just gets very difficult. So they've got, the idea there is they have this big swarm and they communicate wirelessly. So they do have Wi-Fi. They don't individually have much intelligence, but they do have some basic algorithms which allow them to operate in conjunction with one another, in cooperation, to exhibit apparent intelligence. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that they can maneuver themselves around to form um, different shapes. That's what the challenge here that they wanted to do. So they would have a shape like a a wrench. Yeah, right. And it would just be a black wrench shape on a white background. And they can show it to essentially show it to uh, what they're calling a seed robot Mm -hmm. and they put the seed robot down and it becomes the reference point for all the others so all the others sort of go how far away am I from this one Mm -hmm. and what is my pixel position essentially within this shape and once they figure that out they just then start using this movement algorithm where they start walking around each other keeping in close contact until they sort of morph and Create a shape. Court, create this shape. Yeah, right. And so it's a really great proof of concept and it's a great video to watch, so you should have a look at it. <laughs> uh, it was um, Harvard University. Harvard. By Radhika Nagpal, and I apologize for saying that terribly, Mike Rubenstein and Alex Corneo. Oh, those trio. Always up to trouble yeah, with the little cool. nanobot, microbots. But hey, so here's the exciting thing with this technology that they've done here. The exciting point is, imagine this instead of being these, because they, they've got, they're quite primitive, they're, they're doing yeah. a proof of concept. But could you imagine a, a little package, like a little robot that was um, made out of uh, a blob of metal with some power and, and the smarts in it to move around like they do it here. Mm-hmm. And so it, you give it a 3D shape. 
mm. instead of a 2d1. Yeah. And again, they move over each other. When they get in a position, they discharge their little power, instantly melting themselves onto each other. Mm. And so they start forming a three-dimensional solid metallic shape. Oh, so you wow. could basically deliver these things up in a space. Yeah. Uh, and they could be magnetic or something or be in a magnet, whatever that is. Yep. You deliver them up in a space and essentially 3D print stuff mm. as required Yeah, right. through programming. And they could do it very smart. So you could just keep delivering uh, stuff into the swarm and it will just keep building out keep building your out. structure. Yeah, the right. The more you keep delivering, the more they just keep building the structure. Wow. And yeah, I was thinking about that. That would be quite amazing. Of course, a couple of problems that we'd have to overcome there, but we're, we're not talking about the sub-millimeter at that point. We're still talking about maybe a centimeter sort of little blobs. Yes. But you can, you can see, though, the advantages would be that you don't have to come up with a single large factory in space or pre-constructed stuff. You could deliver this, you know, cloud. Mm-hmm. And then make it work. The other idea then going further into speculation here is this idea of them being able to absorb or catch on other pieces of um, surrounding material. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. incorporate it. Yep. So that they you can just dump them onto a pile of dust mm-hmm. or sand or metal filings or whatever it is. <laughs> and yeah, start constructing. Yeah, So you leave them up there and after a while they just... On the moon, you chuck them on the moon, and after a while, they just have constructed a habitat. Yes. Yeah, and they've sealed it. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, maybe that takes a little while, but they can do it unsupervised because they've yeah. got this swarm intelligence. Yes. Which allows them to operate together. Yeah. And I think in this movie, this is what they're talking about, the Lagrangian microbots were sort of deconstructors. Yes. Like, so trash would, would go there, and these things would just mulch it up. Yeah. And, and stop it from being big piles of trash. I mean, it would be small piles of trash. You can't delete it but you would certainly stop you know enormous big heavy things from falling into orbits that would damage yeah yeah. but yeah so so that's my thought is it's just these swarming little robots yeah it's really interesting we're not as far off as necessary you know maybe 10 20 years we might start seeing something along those lines i've seen a couple other videos of uh larger sized robots working in um, tandem together so they work together to solve problems mm. using fairly basic algorithms and, and communicating with each other yeah uh, using the artificial intelligence approach i suppose like especially when you talk about outer space having something that's little and light anything that's light that you can shoot up into space right because mm. that's what it's all that's a big problem with space is getting heavy stuff off planet earth into yeah. space because we need stuff out there, infrastructure, really to succeed and go that next step. But it costs so much fuel load to get big things off the planet, doesn't it? And, you know, and if you damage it on the way down, but if you've got tiny little things like the size, like, yeah, yeah, little you could just send them up in little rockets, and they're out in space, and if then a they could start working. Broke, if a few thousand of them broke, yeah, it wouldn't matter. Would it really matter? No, it'd be hard no. for them to break anyway. Yeah, and you could just keep delivering them. That's right. Yeah, it'd be smaller payloads, but maybe just as a, you know, like more effective in space, as you said, building a habitat or something. Yeah. yeah so so there's, there's a lot, a lot of, of research going into mm. this because of the flexibility it offers. So like, mm. like that idea of 3D printing is really terrible. Everyone's trying to 3D print everything. <laughs> I saw this, keep seeing this one. It's a 3D printed house. Mm, yeah, it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's called concrete tilt panel. We already do it. 
Yeah, yeah. It's just like, you know, it's called concrete. You just pour it. It's not 3D printing really. No. I mean, we do it better anyway. Anyway, so. <laughs> but it's 3D printing um, food. Yes. That's an interesting one. Yeah. I've seen that with uh, chocolate. <laughs> so it'll it'll 3D print different shapes in chocolate but with different flavors of chocolate. Yeah. And so on. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, very interesting. All right. Well, that was a good take on the science of uh, space sweepers. So next episode, we're going to stick to something super fresh, love and monsters. Uh, this got my pal Dan Ewing in it. Yep. Your good old buddy. Good good buddy of mine. He, he has spoken through Space Brains at Instagram before. Yeah, because he so. uh, he's in the uh, occupation. Yes, he is. So he was occupation. quite pleased to, to hear us big him up on so that. So we'll, we'll be tagging him again. He'll be like, oh, those boys. <laughs> Go on, Danny. Yep. Maybe we can get him. Maybe we can get Danny over for the festival. I look, he's Australian. We're Australian. Yeah. Show us some love, mate. There's not a lot going on. You can't leave the country at the moment. So come to come to Mandra, Danny, and, yeah. and Luke could come. They could all come and have a little chat with us at our festival. Um, so yeah, we'll have a look at Love and Monsters. It was shot in Queensland, uh, I think, about a year ago or so, and released just recently on Netflix a couple of months ago. It's got a real tongue-in-cheek. It's quite different to what we looked at tonight and, and obviously a very different complex uh, society that's set up in that. But we won't. I won't say any more, but exciting to get into that. So that will do us for Space Sweepers. Check out our website. Um, make sure you check out the details of the film festival and get cracking. Make a science fiction film for us. Or if you know someone who makes science fiction films. Yeah, head them this way. Tell them to get that way. Or if you're an actor who wants to be in a science fiction mm. film, get your buddies together. Get it going. Get a camera. I mean, Use your phone. Your phone's an HD camera right there. That's yeah. better than what most camera... Operators had, you know, years ago. Just 10 years ago, yeah. So, yeah, make a sci-fi film, submit it. We look forward to looking at them. Or come to the festival, come to Mandra, check it out. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be a good day. Um, And other apart from that, hit up our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. TikTok. Has now been added. <laughs> we want the the younger audience to get onto the Space Brains uh, fans. So let people know you can hit us up on TikTok, and yeah, let us know what you thought about Space Sweepers yourself and what we talked about tonight. I will catch you next time. Sorry. See ya. Bye.